What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of Bloke in a Bar. This week, we have the great guru on via Zoom. We talk about the top 10 moments of 2021, and it is interesting. It's really cool to talk about the biggest moments in hindsight because opinions could have changed. You know, we find out more information. A good example is Wayne Bennett versus Ivan Cleary. It looked like a massive knockout to Wayne Bennett, but Ivan Cleary goes on to win the comp. So you'd say, you know, it's a... Everyone thought Wayne Bennett had won the battle, but the real battle is on the field, and Ivan Cleary won it. So it's a really cool episode, guys. I think you're going to love it. It's with the great rugby league guru. Make sure to follow the guru on Instagram, at Rugby League Guru, or subscribe to his podcast on all good, all good podcasting apps. Brought to you by the best beer in the nation. The best beer in the nation. It's bloke in a bar. When I was coming up with the recipe, I was like, I don't want it fruity. I don't want it hoppy for this beer. I just want it to be smooth and easy drinking. Perfect asset next to you. Well, you sit back, you watch the sport, and you just get to enjoy yourself. You've been working hard all week, and you just want a good, easy beer to drink, not too hoppy, not too fruity. Go and grab a case of Bloke in a Bar from your local independent bottle. If they don't stock it, you can walk into your independent bottle and say, excuse me, may you please order some Bloke in a Bar via ALM or ILG. They'll know what you're talking about, and you can get it down to your local. But as usual, let's get straight into it, baby! Just a Bloke in a Bar. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of Bloke in a Bar, brought to you by Bloke in a Bar, as usual. The beer of summer, the beer of sport. We've also got our main man, Guru, who unfortunately, he's a bit crook at the moment. Uh, how you feeling, big dog? Mate, I've been better. Uh, fingers crossed we get a uh, negative test back over the next few days, but thought we'd play some smart footy and uh, go Zoom. It's a bit weird going back to it just quietly. Yeah, I mean, it was weird that how, Zoom, I didn't even know what Zoom was before 2020. And now yeah. it's like part of our lexicon as a, as a society is like, I'll just Zoom you. It used to be like Skype. You know what I mean? It's crazy how things change. Crazy. Um, but anyway, hopefully the big fella is all good. Uh, if not, I mean, we're all bound to get it eventually. Fuck, we, we can't avoid it. Um, but we've got our 12 stores. Beautiful beers to pick up at these 12 stores. We've got Loka Liquor, Piermont, Porter's Liquor Glebe, Tats Hotel, Inverell, Norris Park IGA, Mo Bottle Mart Victoria, Norfolk Island Liquor Bond, Yandina Hotel on tap. It's on tap at Yandina Hotel in Sunny Coast, Central Tavern Caloundra West, Liquor Legends Forest Hill, Beach House Hotel Hervey Bay, Hotel Stradbroke, Yamba Liquor, uh, and I think Britannia in Sunshine Coast. I actually popped in there. I think it's called Britannia. I could be wrong. Uh, but I popped in there and I actually bought a case of my own beer from that store. A lovely lady at the counter that served me. So thank you very much for that. Britannia in Sunshine Coast. Um, oh, and also, speaking of uh, not feeling the best, the big fella, Frank Pritchard, unfortunately went to hosp- hospital. Um, I-, I was going to put a post up, but these things are so sensitive. I don't know. You don't know whether they would want it up or they they wouldn't want it up, but it seems to have hit mainstream media. Um, went to uh, hospital with some complications uh, from COVID. Uh, uh, from what we're being told from Gus, he's out of hospital now. Still not in the best condition, but he's out of hospital. So just want to send our best wishes out to Frank Pritchard. I mean, you know, it's 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 really scary when you see that. Like you you almost to, to, to imagine a guy like Frank Pritchard. We all grew up loved watching, absolutely loved watching him play with his massive offloads, his edge running. To think that such a man mountain could be um, hit so hard is, is it's scary. It's kind of uh, brings everything back into focus. So sending our absolute best wishes to the big fellow. We hope you get better and um, and I'm sure he'll make a full full recovery. So, uh, but now what we wanted to do today is we wanted to go through. 
the top 10 moments. So we've got Matty to put his top 10 moments together. We've got the great guru to put his 10 best moments together from 2021. And what I love about this is it seems a bit cliche, you know, oh, let's put the top 10 moments together and everyone does that in the year. But in a podcast form, it's actually really interesting to, I want to go back and talk about it because when things happen in the moment, sometimes you can have a different feel of how big it is or what happened once you get a bit away from it and the dust settles, your opinion can change on what has happened. Um, so first of all, we'll start at number 10. Maddie's number 10 moment was Ryan. Oh, for sure, mate. There, there's a couple of here. That I... Sorry, you there? Yeah, 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 you there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Start at 10 with the great guru. Yeah, so number 10, um, we had Pappy scores four tries. Now, against this game against Brisbane, uh, it was 6-0 in the 25th minute. Uh, at halftime, it was 24 to 6. Pappy scored all 24 points, of course. He's the goal kicker for the Melbourne Storm as well. So, mate, just unbelievable. And for those, for those super coach players out there, you know, Brisbane wasn't travelling overly well. Everyone thought Pappy was going to explode. And good God, there were some nervous people out there in that 25th minute. And then all of a sudden, he just went berserk. Uh, you know, his support play, Ryan Pappenhausen, is just sensational. And it really did show. No, he's absolute best footy that night. He's a freak little pappy. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, he it was kind of he was showing what he does best. You know what I mean? He is one of the best outside of Tedesco. I would say Tedesco is probably the best. I mean, we've got Tom Trevojevic now, um, but I'd still put Tedesco up as the best support player. But Ryan Pappenhuis and he's he's a close second. I think it was also a real. I guess, wake-up call for the Broncos as well. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. How many wake-up calls do the Broncos need? But it was also just a good example. It really drove home how far away the Broncos were from where they need to be to be a competitive side in the NRL. For them to have four tries put on like that and then go from 24 to 20, to 6, from 6 nil up, it was a real, like, a kind of kick in the guts of, like, guys, this is just not good. That is not good enough in NRL. Mate, I remember this night in about the 20th minute, I I put up a post saying Craig Bellamy's going to lose his mind at halftime. And then, mate, within 10 minutes, I almost felt like deleting the thing. I was like, you look like an absolute muppet now. They're, they're up by 18 all of a sudden. And, you know, as you said, I, mate, in the 20th minute, I was thinking, good God, Brisbane is doing well to hang in here. This is so impressive. And it went from being Brisbane is so impressive to 10 minutes later going, fuck, we're getting the same old Brisbane here. It was, it was an unreal night. It was crazy. You know what? You know what it was. Is is uh, speaking to um, my brother's uh, father-in-law, and he he made a good, really good. Uh, I guess we weren't talking about the Broncos versus Storm specifically, but we we're talking about the difference in standard between first grade and reserve grade. And the difference really is is that in reserve grade, you can get twenty minutes of first grade standard footy, but that's about it. And I think, mm-hmm. and this is no disrespect to the Broncos players. I'm not saying Sydney saying, "Oh, they're all just a bunch of reserve graders." It's more just because they're so young um, that a lot of those players probably would have spent an extra year or two in reserve grade before they made their first grade debut. Now, now, again, to be clear, we may this may pay massive dividends in the future, where for the next ten years we've got these hardened, you know, young fellows that are just guns. But it, it, I think it really did show that the standard difference was pretty much first grade and reserve grade that night. I think it genuinely is one of the more underappreciated things by people that, you know, obviously you go and watch your park football and, you, you know, you can see the gap, but mate, the gap between reserve grade and first grade is massive as well. And I think it's something that the people 
really do underappreciate. Yeah, absolutely. Because to be honest, like you could take the best, the top four, the top four Q Cup sides, and they could maybe hang with a few NRL teams for the first twenty to thirty minutes. But after that, they just get blown off the park. Um, and, it's, and again, it's because they're inexperienced, it's because they're not training full-time, all that kind of stuff. But I just thought that that night with the Storm, we really saw the, the cream of the crop to a against a team that is still developing, is still in the phase of, you know, a few of these boys in a perfect world would be playing Q-Cup, would be, you know, really, I guess, sharpening their tools in Q-Cup. So, yeah, that was a crazy night. To see that all unfold was absolutely you know, to see Pappy did, and was that so? He did he come back from injury again that night, or was that bef- just before Magic Round when he got his head knock? Uh, I'm pretty sure that was before the head knock and everything. This was, I'm pretty sure that this was reasonably early in the season. But it, you know, to, to me, it also just showed that in the NRL, if you clock off for three minutes, yeah. you can lose an 80 minute game of football. Yeah, it can just go straight away, especially if you're playing one of these top tier sides. If, if you're not playing the full 80, you can get yourself in some serious Barney very quickly. Absolutely. And when you're a young side like the Broncos are, like clawing back is a very hard thing to do, you know, once you get broken like that. Um, and I, well, I think another thing as well from, and I guess I'm being pretty biased because I'm talking from the Broncos perspective is, is I feel like the Broncos team at the start of the season would allow that to happen. I think by the end of the season, the Broncos wouldn't have allowed that to happen. I think we actually would have, we would have found like Storm would have still won, but I think it would have been quite a close encounter because the maturity that, you know, when you take that one game of that just absolute la- like lapse in judgment for 10 minutes, I-, I don't see that as bad. Like, I don't see them doing that by round 24. I saw them as a team that still wasn't where they needed to be, but they, act- they had some fight in them. They had some real gall. Like, I mean, they were taking Penrith Panthers to the-, to the wire. They were taking the Roosters yep. to the wire, um, you know, by the end of the season. Uh, again, you know, that's- we need to be better than just taking teams to the wire, but it's still an improvement as to where we were at the start of the year. And now you throw in an Adam Reynolds into the piece who, but for me, the best thing about Adam Reynolds is that he'll be the guy that talks behind the goalpost. Yeah. Once Pappy scored his second try, it, 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 there was a moment there where it could have gone either way. Unfortunately, it went the wrong way for Brisbane. But having a guy like Reynolds now who can just get you to where you need to be, get you to your kick and just start to get back in the grind, it's going to be massive for them, mate. You must, you, you, like yourself and Broncos fans, based on what you saw at the end of this last season and based on the guys that have walked in there, it's, uh, it's exciting times, mate. Oh, absolutely. And you're totally right with Reynolds, like behind the goalpost, but also, you know, behind the goalpost in saying, let's say they score those two tries, Reynolds will be going, okay, everyone shut the fuck up. You follow me now. I'm going to take control of this team. And he would literally just go, hit up, hit up, hit up, kick. Boys, we're defending a set for the like for our lives. This next set is for our lives. Whereas before, we didn't really have an older player that had the experience to be able to go, everyone shut up. This is what we're doing, and and it's all buy in. So you're totally right. I think if, if you had a Reynolds and a Catewell in that that Bronco side in that moment where Pappy is just torn us apart, I think that we probably leaked two tries, and then after that we we glue everything together. Reynolds slows the pace of the game down, gets the ball out, you know, so that we can regather ourselves. Whereas, you know, when you look at that game when Pappy scored four tries. We didn't have a guy experienced enough to go, what do we need to do here? We need to upset their rhythm. We need to get them stopped. Let's stop the game. Kick the fucking ball dead if we have to. Kick it out. Let's just stop the game instead of this um, getting in the – we don't want to get into this flow with them because clearly their flow is at a much better, a higher f- flow state than us. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah, oh, I'm really excited for Brisbane heading into next year, mate. I think that 
the potential is just sky high there. Keep coming back to Adam Reynolds, but I just think he's going to be so good for them and such a great signing. You scored four tries yourself one day, didn't you? Yes, yes, I did, actually. That's why I kept talking about this, because I just wanted to get this point. No, that's a joke. I didn't actually put this as 10. This is Matty's 10. So um, it's, it's the best day ever, because, like, scoring tries, especially as a winger, you, you just know your job's done. You did your job. Uh, it, yeah, it's just – you can't explain it. It's just so good, because every time you, you score another try, you're thinking – this, how can this get better? This is sick. How good is You know what I mean? It just keeps working for you. Um, so, yeah, Pappen Houston. It was interesting as well as at that time, people genuinely, genuinely, and that's why I, I like talking about top 10 moments from earlier in the year. It's going to sound crazy, but at that time, there were some people saying, should Pappenhausen have the New South Wales number one role? And, and anyone that denies that is fucking talking shit because I was saying that is crazy. Pappen Houston is, is being really good but there's no one taking that role from Teddy. Do you also remember that chat? Some, some people, not everyone, there were some people. Games before this, he won a Clive Churchill medal. So he was putting himself right in the box seat, Pappy. I, I think if it wasn't for um, the head knocks and whatnot, I, I think he locks himself into the 14 jersey for New South Wales at, at minimum, realistically. Um, yeah, it's a bit unfortunate how it's played out for Pappy and, Probably uh, Victor Radley as well. I think they've both been very unlucky not to debut yet. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, sorry, you just cut out at the start there. Were you also getting – were people also saying to you that, oh, Pappy might take Tedesco's spot? Oh, yeah, for sure. It, it was a real thing out there. People were getting proper keen on him. I think, obviously, Turbo, I, I don't think he'd started playing yet. I think he was out for the first few weeks. And um, Teddy was playing 8 out of 10, which – Unfortunately, we expect 9 and 10 out of 10 for Teddy. So, I mean, if Pappy was playing the games that Teddy was playing at the start of the year, we'd still be incredibly impressed. But Teddy just sets such a high standard for himself. It's almost unfair on him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, Teddy is a victim of his own consistency. We are so yep. used to Teddy playing. Un- but like, he, he's having year after year, all-time years. You know, like, he's had four years in a row where you could match that up against the greatest outside of um, Tom Trevojevic, because obviously that's an outlier. But if you matched up those four years against Billy Slater's best four years, they may not be better, but I'll tell you what, they would be, you wouldn't be crazy to match them up. Do you know what I mean? His last four years against Billy Slater's uh, best year would would be very similar, very similar. Mate, Teddy holds up. And, mate, you, you even go back to when, even when Teddy was at the Tigers, mate, his form there, was incredible. And he yeah. came to the Roosters, took him two or three months to sort of find his feet. But once he did, mate, he hasn't looked back. And, you know, I said, like, I don't think he's played under an eight out of 10 in four years now. He is just yeah. incredible. I would abs- I would agree. I would honestly, I, I, I again, I, I truly believe that you could take his last three or four years and compare it against any of the best fullbacks. And I'm not saying that they would be better, but it, it would truly it's a good argument. Like, it's a very you, – you could – I mean, because not only has he been incredible uh, at club level, but he's – every time he plays for New South Wales, he plays 8 to 9 out of 10. You know, even this year, he was incredible, but it was just the fact that Latrell and Tom Travojevic were, un, like, just, you know, godly in the way they played. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it, – that was real. I, I mean, I was always of the mind, like, don't get me wrong, Papenhusen was incredible, and I think that – I agree with you. I do believe that – if he doesn't get injured, he gets that 14 role. Uh, but there was at no point did I feel that Tedesco should have 
would would have ever lost his position to Papenhuis. And I, I think that Tedesco has played so well for so long that he actually could play for a busted for a whole year, for half a year. Like I'm talking, Teddy could come out for me if I'm New South Wales. Give me six out of tens every week, and I would still pick him at fullback over Tom Travojevic, over Ryan Papenhuisen, because a he's delivered so many times, but b what what kind of message does that send culture-wise? That a guy that has delivered you series after series wins, you're just going to get rid of him because he had three months of bad footy. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Would you where would you let's say Teddy let's say Teddy rolls out next year, 2022, he gives you three months of uh, gives you sorry he gives you ten weeks. Of six out of tens. He's my captain. He's my automatic captain. There's no doubt about it. He's my automatic fullback for the Anzac test. I'm just thinking off the top of my head now. Kangaroos haven't played since Boyd Cordner retired. Teddy's my Kangaroos captain. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I'm the other option would be DCE, but I, I think Cleary's probably going to wear the seven now realistically. I'm not sure if DCE's in the side. So... For me, mate, I reckon Teddy retires with the one jersey in every team he plays in. He hands it over when he's ready to hand it over, especially with the way that you can use these fullbacks in other positions now. Mm. So many of them are playing centre, 14, yeah. you know, wherever it might be. So I, I just – I don't think it matters how poorly he goes, and I'm so confident he won't go poorly, as I'm sure you are as well. Mm. But I just can't see him losing a jersey in any football team that he can possibly be picked in realistically. Okay, he's, he's, not, he's a tougher one for you. So Teddy's not going to lose that one position. Isaiah mm. is definitely not losing that 13 position. Who gets the 14 role, Pappy or Radley? Um, I, mate, I love Victor Radley. I absolutely love him. And I think it's criminal he hasn't played yet. But I think that if I was picking a 14, I think I would go with Pappy. Really? Um, yeah, only because I think that if you're going to have – this is the problem. I think that Isaiah Yo is so good and his combo with Nathan Cleary is so good, you can't leave him out. And I think that – if you're going to have you're going to have Cam Murray in your side somewhere, if Isaiah Yo's at 13, you assume he's going to be on the pine. So for me, I just think you're, you're giving away a little bit too much size having Cam Murray and Victor Radley in your side. I think their their body shapes are just a little bit too similar for me. Um, and I, I would want someone like a Pappy, a Jack White, and one of these sort of guys on my 14. So, man, I reckon there's a really good chance that Victor Radley could be one of the most unluckiest guys as far as rep football goes. Mm. Uh, he's so deserving. Either. And he will play, there's no doubt about it. But, mate, over the last three years, has he already given away nine Origin jerseys or something like that? Like, yeah. I, he's just – he's played so well, but whether it's injury, suspension, whatever it is, he hasn't been able to get in that side. And he's given Isaiah Yo an opportunity to own that stage. And, fuck, I'm not sure if Isaiah Yo could have done much more realistically. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And, and the, the tough thing for Victor is that the combination of Luai, Cleary, even if – you know, Isaiah Yo isn't playing the best. That the combination like that kept Cam Murray out of the thirteen jersey. So yep. you know, so Radley. See, I, I think that Radley gets a bench spot. I think that that Fittler is such a fan of him. He finds a way to get him on the bench. I don't know how. I know that you know New South Wales are so stacked, but I just think there's going to be a way to get him on the bench. I I could be totally wrong, but he's for me. He is what Origin is truly. When you talk about Origin players. Victor Radley is an origin player. Um, oh, mate, 100%. Uh, and, and, and I think for me, if I'm going to fit Radley in, it's probably a Sydney game. Mm. If I'm playing up at Suncorp on a fast track, I'll probably go for a Pappy. Mm. Um, I, I think Sydney will, will be his best shot for Rads to get in. And, mate, what you said about him being an origin player is spot on. He's got origin written across his forehead. I'm just worried 
that he's given too many other class players too many opportunities. But, I mean, mate, if in two years' time the 13 was Radley and the halfback was Luke Keary, would you be overly shocked? Mm. Sorry, not, not the halfback. If Luke Keary was the 5'8", for example, Cleary will be the 7. But, mate, it's it's scary just to think how much depth we've got and how many guys could jump in. And it's it's unbelievable. Oh, it's it's crazy because, like, you know, you take you back four years and you just could – you just had no depth. Like, there was there was no depth. There was It was always, oh, well, okay, we'll go with the old faithful because he's been in there before, he's been in the cauldron, he knows what it's about. That was that was honestly part of the reason you selected most of your players, you know, over the last few years, whereas now it's more just like you've got a bunch of players that in any other generation would get a start that aren't going to get a start. So, yeah, um, yeah. Really interesting times for guys like Pappenhusen and Radley. Really interesting times. It's it's going to be, it's going to be similar to. I mean, not, it's not going to be similar to the eight in a row for Queensland. Yeah, I don't think that's ever going to happen to happen. But it's going to be similar in the sense that there's going to be a bunch of players in a generation that normally would have played aren't going to play for New South Wales. I think over the next few years, um, think about all the great players that struggle to get many games with Queensland. Uh, during that time, like that, that would walk into the New South Wales side. Uh, so yeah, good. I mean, very. It's a good. It's a good problem to have for um, for New South Wales. Now, what was your number nine, Guru? Uh, number nine, uh, Tom Burgess's try into Luke Brooks's length of the field run out of the in goals to put the ball down. Uh, players going off their heads. It went upstairs, and you knew the game was going to be decided one way or the other. And my, my, my missus is a mad South Sydney fan, so it was a very stressful three or four minutes there. But I've never seen anything like that for it to be a video ref to check both ends of the field, and that's going to be the deciding play. And even take it back 15 seconds before that, fucking Tom Burgess, a front rower, running 40 metres to score. Like, unheard of. It was an incredible moment. And, you know, we, we, we had Tales of Tiger Town, and watching Madge in that moment, uh, it was agonising to watch the emotions that he went through. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, the one person that sh- should get more raps that doesn't get more raps in such a, an incredible moment in a match that didn't really mean much for both. I mean, it meant a lot to the Tigers, but the ref, the ref let it go. A lot of refs would have just gone. Mate, Sorry? Yeah. The ref could not have done his job better in yeah. that moment. Absolutely. And the commentators still got stuck into him. Everyone, everyone blew up. It's like, well, what did you want him to do? He absolutely nailed it in that moment. I mean, we wouldn't have that moment. If he had just gone like, you know, if he hadn't or he had have just gone knock on or not knock on or just stop the play because he, he could have stopped the play when, when that all happened. But for him to just allow it all the way to the other end, it turned a, a great moment into – a moment that I think Rabbitohs and Tigers fans specifically will remember forever. Like, Maddie, you remember that forever, won't you? Yeah, I was at the game. I was at the game in, in like, the middle of the South fans, and we didn't know what was going on. Like, we were standing behind the, the famous photo, or not famous, but that photo of Josh Mansell looking so confused. Yeah. But we were, we were all as confused as him. Yeah. But, oh, it was such a thrill when you, it came up on the big screen and Tom Bird just put that ball down. Because we thought, we just assumed that he knocked it on. Yeah, and the Tigers had won. So we thought it was gone. And then to get it back, oh, it was—it gives me goosebumps right now. I mean, and, and again, doesn't happen unless the unless the ref has the wherewithal to go. Look, I, I don't know whether it was knocked on. I'm going to allow things to just go, you know. Um, and mate, I think as well, it's something the referees that we overlook and we underappreciate, mate. He's been running for 80 minutes himself. 
he's been keeping up with some of the best athletes in the world and he had he had the brains in that moment to let it play out and see what happens. I mean, could you imagine if if Tom Burgess did knock that on and he pulled Luke Brooks up on halfway to go upstairs to see if Tom Burgess knocked the ball on? I mean, like, it would just be chaos. I, I thought it was brilliant by him and I don't think he got the compliments that he deserved. No, I, I totally agree. I think the ref deserves a lot of raps for that. If you can, maybe find out who the ref was so that we can say his name. Gerard Sutton. Oh, Gerard Sutton. Because I remember there's footage of him about to blow his whistle. Yep. I'll correct myself if I look it up. I'll correct myself if I'm wrong, but I'm certain it was Gerard Sutton because he's about to blow his whistle. And then you're right. He had the brains to go, nut play on. Yeah. And and also like the guts, the guts, because he's opened himself up to, you know, massive, massive blues. So... Um, yeah, Tom Burgess made the incredible moment. Brooks made an incredible moment, but the ref allowed these things to happen. And I just think that refs, refs is the worst setup ever because the better you are as a ref, the less you're noticed. Whereas the worse yep. you are as a ref, the, be- the, better, uh, the more you're noticed. So a-, a good ref, no one notices. So when you're thinking back to who's a good ref, you can't remember because the games that they refed, you don't know who was refing. Uh, whereas when they yeah. make one mistake, you remember that. Yeah, and mate, I, I get people all the time complaining to me about refs that this one does this wrong, does this wrong, and I go, well, who, who do you want? <laughs> and they've got no idea because mm. they, 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 they've got no idea which one of them are doing exactly what you're saying. It's a, it's a crazy thing, mate. I, I sort of think it's part of our culture in rugby league. We need to sort of try and shift a little bit realistically. Oh, I totally agree. Look, don't get me wrong. There's some refs that have made some shocking calls and had some shocking games where you're like questioning like what how did how did that come about but they're one in they're one every in my opinion they're one every i don't know 20 games maybe most most of the time they're 50 50 calls that the ref like i just think refs get a bad rap like do you really think they're going out there intentionally trying to you know, make the wrong call or, or anything like that. I, I totally agree. If, if we can somehow shift the culture of, you know, these are blokes just that love the game probably more than anyone. If you're a ref, you've got to love the game more than anyone because you get you don't get any praise and all you de- get is negativity. Uh, I totally agree with that. Again, doesn't mean that you can't you can't. It doesn't mean you can't break down a play where you feel the ref's got an error. Just like a player, you can break the game down and be like, look, he made an error. But at the same time, I feel like refs should get raps when, when they do a really good job. I thought during Origin, the refs were fantastic. You know, I thought the refs really let the game flow. No, mate, they were brilliant. I think the other thing that people have got to appreciate is that the great thing about rugby league is there's so many grey areas. You don't know what's going to happen next. And the grey area, mate, I couldn't think of anything worse than trying to referee this game at the moment. It is faster than it ever has been. There is more rules than it ever has been. The smartest guys in the room are not the referees; they're the coaches, and they're trying to take advantage of the referees. Realistically, so it's a it's a very tough gig. Oh, I think, uh, yeah, oh, I think we need to start appreciating the job that the referees do a little bit more realistically. Absolutely. Now, at number number eight, we had Sam Walker's Sam Walker had nice miraculous comeback against the Sharks. Is that, is that what you had, Guru? Yeah, mate, I had Sammy Walker here, and um, an incredible night for a guy. I think this was round five or round six, so. Kiri played the first two weeks, then Walker came in. So this was very, very early days. He was very green. And uh, I actually went back and watched highlights of this game to have a look at it. And, mate, Walker, he, he let in a try to Will Kennedy very early. Will Kennedy just ran over the top of him and scored. And, you know, for most 18-year-olds playing their third game of first grade, getting dusted like that should, should rattle them. That's what I love about Walker. Nothing rattles him. He just stands up and delivers. He, he always wants the ball in his hand. 
it was 18 to 10 with 11 minutes to go. And um, he put this pass in to Daniel Tupu on the left edge. You know, those big floating balls he does, which, oh. you know, were the trademark of him this year. And mm. I watched the play before that. He, he went down the right edge. He dropped um, Tupanua down on the tram line. And then he just sprinted out to the other outside the post to get himself into the spot for the next play and landed that pass. Sort of did a bit of a double take on it like, like Joey used to do. And he, he let the defense come up and make a mistake. Mm. It's just it, that, that whole think fast, play slow. You normally don't see that till guys are 30 years old. For Walker to be doing it when he's 18 in his third game of footy, it was unbelievable. And, you know, the job wasn't done. Daniel Tupu, an unbelievable effort. Oh, I think you've said it a number of times. Probably the most underrated guy in rugby league. Definitely the most underrated uh, winger in my opinion. But what I noticed was on the next try, he scored it himself. And he beat Chad Townsend yeah, now. I was say. When you watch the defensive line, yeah. now, I'm sure you would have seen it too. Yeah. You watch the defensive line, mate, the winger, his torso is facing the sideline because he knows, fuck, this kid can throw a ball 20 metres whenever he wants. So then the centre's shifting out as well. So it's just an entire shifting line that are so scared they're going to get on the outside of him. Mate, it just it creates havoc with the defensive line when you know one, like, and, and you know, with all due respect to Sam Walker, Probably every half in the game can't throw that pass, but having the confidence to do it is just something else. And you know Walker's got the confidence to do it. So it just it shifts the whole defensive line. You saw Chad Townsend, he got sucked into the back rower, and then he just made a sprint for the sideline because he just thought that's sort of where the ball was going. Um, mate, he's got a special career in front of him, Sam Walker. We spoke about it a few weeks ago, how, how banged up he gets and stuff. But, mate, just that, that, that 15 minutes or so, I mean, it might be over the top, but that was Joey-like. I think he, he scored one and set up two or three in, in the last, you know, 15 minutes. It was incredible. I, I, I Look, I know people, when you say the word Joey, when you invoke his name, you immediately get pushback. I totally, and I totally understand it. We don't want to be have recency bias and, you know, start comparing players and then, you know, the dust settles and we go, okay, maybe it wasn't. But I, I, I totally agree. I think that that was Joey-like. You know, that 20 minutes, there isn't many halves that could really because that was the beauty of joey like he could just make things happen just out of nothing and he would make he would be so deceptive with the ball you know he would it, it, it sounds like the same he would go he would keep throwing the ball long keep throwing the ball long and then he'd hit this incredible short ball and it was all about putting these thoughts in the defensive defensive line's head of like constantly being worried about the option that he's actually not going to take and Sam Walker did that. He was throwing these crazy long balls, scored a, you know one or two tries off it. Then he throws a dummy. Townsend's no mug either. Townsend's experienced. He's been he's won a grand final. You know he's beat yep. Townsend beat the Melbourne Storm in a grand final. So for Sam Walker to be playing mind games with a defensive line at 18 years old, it is incredible. Like I cannot express. People don't understand that. These weren't tries where, oh, how good was it that Sam Walker just executed the last pass on a really great play because he had a, he had he had an extra number on the side, like on the on the edge there. These were plays that were concocted and created purely by Sam Walker's mind. Do you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Where, you know, usually we see a young guy come in and we're giving him major raps because he executed a coach's play. We're going. You know, the coach's play that, was, that he's been training all preseason, he nailed it. Fuck, what a good player. Sam Walker literally went out there and just conjured up deception, conjured up execution, 
And that was what was so incredible about that 15 minutes. Again, we're not sitting here saying he is Andrew Johns, but it was very Johns-esque of taking a game by the scruff of the neck, using deception and manipulation over a period of time to score tries in both directions. Yeah, and, for, and I think as well for people that are listening, like it's worth back. It's worth going back and watching the highlights of that game, and it's worth watching the play before they score off where Sam Walker, he, he dumps t- Tupanua over on the right touch line. The play before uh, where he scores himself, you see him behind the ruck and he's barking at Jared Rhea Hargraves, get one to the sticks, take it there, and then he gets the ball. Like, it made even to be 18 years old. Uh, imagine if I said to you, hey, can you scream at Jared Rhea Hargraves and tell him where to be? Yeah. I couldn't think of anything worse. 100%. And this kid is and, – and people say, oh, he's been doing it all preseason. He really hadn't because he wasn't the halfback in the 5'8". He hadn't done those sort of reps in the preseason. He was He'd like, stepped in here and there. He was third or fourth in line. Exactly. Yeah. And now he, here he is, round five against the Sharks, who, I mean, they're a tough bunch too, Cronulla. That's what they've been built on. They're tough. They're resilient. Mm-hmm. And for him to have that sort of game when they're down, I thought it was incredible. And, you know, there the, the was the last pass he threw to Brett Morris in that game where Tedesco dug into the line and then uh, Sam Walker got, got, got the ball a little bit wider and, he wasn't at first receiver like he is. Sometimes he's a little bit wider and threw another one of these floating balls. And I think people underappreciate how much balls it takes to let the ball float in the air for that long. When you're like the longer the ball in the air, the more opportunity it is to get snatched, the more opportunity the defensive line has to react to it. Walker makes it look so easy. It's not even funny. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Totally agree. And and the guts, when you're behind, you know, if they take that intercept and, and run the length, he's a villain. He's the worst bloke in the world. What an idiot. Why are you throwing long balls? Just get through your set, build pressure, all the typical stuff we hear. Uh, so that was an incredible moment to watch. And again, I totally agree with you. It wasn't just Sam Walker came out and had a blinder. It was Sam Walker came out and got busted up by Wade Graham in that first half. Like, they were targeting Sam Walker, and Wade Graham was a king of that. Wade Graham gets injured. They go away from busting Sam Walker up. He, and then he has the mental fortitude in the second half to bounce back. Do you know what I mean? It's one, it's one thing to – it was just his day. But that's a, I think it, it's going to get lost in the fog. It wasn't Sam Walker's day. He was getting fucking – just blokes running left, right at centre and M. He was, he was, you know, he was holding his shoulder. So it, it was actually he he fought to make it his day, uh, and that makes it even more incredible. Yeah, and I mean, we, you know, we always said before, whenever you mention Joey, people sort of shit themselves and get upset. But the other thing about Joey is that he could have been a back rower if he wanted to. Yeah. Sam Walker's seventy-nine kilos. True. Like for him to be doing what he's doing is just incredible. And you know, he obviously went went on to have a number of big. Big moments throughout the season, but it definitely is that, that Cronulla game where he really did, you know, announce himself on the big stage. We've heard about this kid for so long. There's been years where, you know, the last year, that's that's the other thing with Sam Walker that people underappreciate. Mate, the kid didn't play rugby league last year. Because of COVID, he did not play rugby league. Yeah. And now he's come out in his third game of first grade and he's dissed it to the Cronulla Sharks. I mean, they won a premiership four or five years ago. They, they were a top eight team the year before that. Yep. It's unbelievable. Now, uh, the next we've got here is Parramatta and end Melbourne Storm's winning streak with a 22-10 victory. They go on to finish the season pretty well as Parramatta. So we've got some positive for the Parramatta fans. I feel like Eels fans do get um, a bit of flack for some reason because like, they always finish in the top five and yet they're on, because they're on the edge of the powerhouses, they get... The, the Eels 
have the expectation of a powerhouse without the same tools as a powerhouse. Do you know what I mean? They get the same pressure as a powerhouse. Um, and and you, know, you know what? You'd rather be that than a team that, oh, yeah, we made the finals. How good's that? Uh, but I thought that was a massive moment for the Eels against a Storm, uh, ending the Storm's winning streak. And, and it was a team that had been known to fade out at the end of the year. I actually think that it's, it's, it's really it's sad for the, the Parramatta Eels because this really kick-started their momentum into a finals berth. Do you know what I mean? And then that, that game against the Penrith Panthers where it tr- they truly didn't deserve to lose, but neither did the Penrith Panthers. And this game against the Storm, I just think that that would have gave them them, given them enough confidence to really have cracked the Storm in the prelim final, and then they could have been in a grand final. Uh, what were your thoughts on this game where they broke the, the Storm's streak? Mate, I was very vocal during the season, especially when I was talking to you, that I just didn't think Parramatta had it in them to compete in the finals. Mate, we got to the end of this game and I sort of went, fuck, all right, you know, here we are. They're, they're about to go on this tough run of teams. I think people forget how hard Parramatta's run home was into the finals. It was incredibly difficult. This night they were unreal. Melbourne, you know, they, these funny sort of things happen in rugby league. Melbourne were trying to break the Roosters' record from 1975, um, coached by Jack Gibson, captained by Arthur Beetson. Parramatta, they'd win a comp five years later, captained, uh, sorry, with, with Artie Beetson and coached by uh, the great Jack Gibson as well. So it's funny how those little things happen in rugby league, beaten by Parramatta that night uh, to not break that record. And, mate, I'll be honest with you, when, when, I, when, I, when I wrote this game down, because for me it was the game of the regular season, um, I straight away thought, geez, I remember Dylan Brown having a really good game that night. And then I went and took the, checked the stats. And, I mean, it was, you know, 12 runs, it was 20 tackles and nothing else. And I was like, oh, mate, maybe I've got the game confused. I went back and watched it. And, mate, talking about what we were talking about with Dylan Brown the other night, it didn't show on stats. But, mate, he had a hand in two tries and he made two try-saving tackles that stopped tries in this game as well. They won by 12 points. He was worth about 20 points on this evening. Mm. But... The way that we call try assists and line break assists in the modern game, he, he gets absolutely nothing for it. And then all of a sudden you look at the stat sheet at the end of the game and he's got duck eggs everywhere. But, mate, he had an absolute blind of that game, Dylan Brown. There's um, the second try they score. I think it's Hayes Dunster on the left edge. The way that he manipulates J- Jerome Hughes and just sucks him in unbelievably mm. creates, you know, a, a three on two for Clint Gutho with, you know, granted he has to ice still, but, you get to the end of the game, Guthrie's got, got a try assist, line break assist, mate. It's Dylan Brown that's created that. And I think that's quite often what gets overlooked when it comes to Dylan Brown as a footballer. He made two unbelievable tackles as well. There was one where um, I think it was Lume Lume's going to score. Dylan Brown came from smack in the middle of the field. He, Ryan Pappenhausen palmed him off under the dot on the 40-meter line, and then he made a tackle on the left touch line a meter out to stop a try. Like... I know people want to bag Dill Brown. I, I, you know, after we spoke about him the other day, I had people message me and say, "Oh, you, you, you're just fanboys because he's a cool guy." But mate, if you want to see what Dylan Brown is about, go and watch this game from start to finish, and and just watch him and the work he does. I, I know a lot of people are saying Dylan Brown's done. I think he's so far from it; it's not even funny. Oh man, I mean, <laughs> just to clear things up, guys. I don't give a fuck who's a cool guy and who's not a cool guy. If you think... Oh, exactly. It's ridiculous. Yeah. If you think that my footy analyst is based on how fucking cool a bloke is, keep, look, look, honestly, look down between your legs and punch yourself in the dick right now because <laughs> you are a fucking moron. 
how cool someone is does not come into consideration <laughs> on who I think is a good footy player. If you go, there's two parts to rugby league. There's two parts to rugby league. Let me repeat that. There is two parts to rugby league: defence and attack. Dylan Brown is one of the best defensive five eights in the game. Can his attack use some work? Absolutely. Is he 21 years old? Yes. How many times was Nathan Cleary absolutely pizzled in the first few seasons of his career? He's not a big game player. He's never going to amount to his name. He's ruined the club by signing him and his dad. He was getting crucified. We fast forward a couple years. Now he is being praised as one of the best players we've seen in a very long time. I'm not sitting here saying that Dylan Brown will eventually be that. But you cannot tell me that he doesn't have the foundations at the very least to be a premier 5'8". He's got all the physical attributes. His defence is already at an, at an elite level. So, the, so one part of his game is at an elite level. It's just his attack where it's all confidence in my opinion. And also we have to remember footy's a team game. When you have such a dominant player in Mitch Moses and Clint Gutherson and you're the guy in between them, where, do you, where does Dylan Brown get time to shine when you've got Gutho and, and Clint? I mean, we saw how Gutho and, and, and Moses go and skits at each other on the field. Dylan Brown's in between. Like, do we forget? It's, it's just, it's silly. It's so silly. Again, of course, you'd want him to have more tries here. So I'm, I'm not sitting here saying that Dylan Brown can't improve. We were very clear, very, very clear that we want to see more out of Dylan Brown next year. Uh, but yeah, Dylan, he is an elite level defensive player that is finding his feet in first grade and finding his role. What, what is he going to bring to the Mitchell Moses-Clint Gutherson uh, combination? Because make no mistake about it, that team is Mitch Moses and Clint Gutherson's team. Whatever they say goes. And it's going to take a couple years for Dylan Brown's voice to be strong enough and balanced enough to be able to say to Mitch Moses and Gutho, Oi, shut up. I'm taking a play down here. Or not even shut up. Um, Gutho... Get down the short side, I need you, need you there. Um, and who, who knows, he may not develop into that player. I'm not saying he definitely will. But how many times do we have to see a young guy slowly develop into a gun before we realise that we can't expect these 21-year-olds and 22-year-olds to be mature 30-year-old players? We need to give them time to develop. And I think Dylan Brown, I think he had a solid year. I don't think it was bad at all. It, I think that you'd probably give him an 8 out of 10 for his defence and his attack maybe a 6, which would give him a 7 out of 10 year. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm not understanding the, the Dylan Brown negativity. I, I just That's bizarre to me. I think he's actually progressing quite well in, when it comes to him as a footy player. And mate, as I said before, if you go back and you watch this game and you just watch Dylan Brown, I, I think we get too focused on stats sometimes. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people say I only had two tries this last year. Fuck, mate, he, he had two tries in this game, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. There was one where he scooted down the short side. He came from the overside. He went down the short side. He created a three-on-two. He drew him past to Bryce Cartwright, and Bryce Cartwright threw the ball to the winger, and they gave Cartwright a try assist. He had another one where he completely manipulated the defense. He put Clint Gutherson in a three-on-two. Gutho gets a try assist. Like, it's very similar to Adam Reynolds at South Sydney. You watch what Adam Reynolds does, and... Mate, he's not getting a trisis in every play, but he bloody well should because mm. he's creating all the opportunities for Cody Walker. And I think it's something that we really do underappreciate where sometimes stats do lie. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I think that's bottom line. I think people get too attached to stats and too attached to 
you know, super coach scores and stuff like that when you've actually got to watch the way that this kid goes about his footy. And as you said, mate, this is Moses and, and Gutherson's team. And with all due respect to them, so it should be. Mm. They're 27, 28. They're almost 30-year-old, you know, ball players in this team. It should be their team. It shouldn't be Dylan Brown's team. And, you know, I'm the same as you. I'm not saying Dylan Brown's going to turn into a premier seven, but, you know, he, he might be a, a, a career 5'8", but there, there's nothing wrong with that. He has got supreme talent. And if you're doubting him, yeah, I, I, I think you're kidding yourself, to be honest with you. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think you're setting the bar way too high for a 21-year. And also, are we forgetting that the Eels had the best year they've had since probably 2009? Like, yep. I, I, it's the closest I, I've seen them go to, to win a premiership, in my opinion, since then. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's uh, yeah, it's bizarre. And so, look, it's it's. I'm totally in the same boat as you. It's not to say that Dylan Brown will go on to be, you know, the the next Brad Fittler or something like that. But it is to say, let's not get caught up in in stats. When you watch Dylan Brown play defensively, he's so good. He's so strong and deep. Um, and he, you know, he'll grow in attack. He'll find his, he'll find his slot in attack where he knows when to, to say to Mitchell Moses, "I need you to do this for me," or "Get to here for me," or it's just going to take time. And and uh, I, yeah, it's as absolutely, it has absolutely nothing to do with how cool he is. What do you think? I'm fucking sixteen years old. Oh my god! Oh, that there's is really a, cool. Um, I'm a fan. There's, <laughs> there's another play in this game where. Moses takes it down the left edge. They're about 10 metres out, and he puts in a kick, and he gets it all wrong. And Jerome Hughes catches it on the full, and you see Dylan Brown, he's chasing the kick. He actually runs past Jerome Hughes. He then tackles him back on halfway. Mm. Like For him to run past him in 50 metres after he's turned and span and come back, for him to be there and make that tackle, there's so many things about Dylan Brown that we underappreciate. We are kind of repeating ourselves from last week, and I think people will apologise over the next few years. But, uh, yeah, he's got so much to offer. There was another tackle in this one that stood out for me. Big Junior Paula, he uh, he ran down Josh Addo Carr. Oh, Incredible I remember that. Moment. Yeah, I remember yeah. that, actually. Mate, Junior Paula, he is so mobile for how big he is. He's so mobile. Yeah, uh, yeah he's a, he, I'm glad they, they signed him because, fuck, they, could, they couldn't afford to lose a Junior Paulo. Um, how do you think the uh, – the, Yeah, go. I was just going to say – how do you think the Eels have navigated this off-season? You know, it was silly of them to have this many people coming off. They've managed to keep Gutho. They've managed to keep Moses because Moses extended in the season, uh, mid-season. They've managed to keep Junior Paulo. They've managed to keep Regan Campbell-Gillard. They've lost Papali'i, Mani, uh, Kafusi, uh, and Stone for 2023. Hey, yeah, yeah, look, yeah, I, I, yeah I, I think the Reed Marnie one's a big loss. There's no doubt about that. Mm. Um, I think the, the Ray Stone one, I, I could take it or leave it. The reality is I don't think he's a nine moving forward. I think he's a 13. You've got Nathan Brown there. So as much as I like Ray Stone, I think he's a great signing by the Dolphins. I don't think he's a huge loss for Parramatta as far as their squad goes. Um, you know, if you did need another 13, you know, you could use Junior Paulo in that sort of role as well. So I, I think they will be okay. Um, without him. I think Isaiah Papali'i, mate, he's coming off a career-high year that's come from nowhere. I, I I don't mind Parramatta not paying huge overs to keep him there, to be honest with you. It's, it's always a bit of a pun. If he's able to get that big money elsewhere, I, I'm, I'm sort of happy for him um, to make a move. It's, it's very hard off a career-high year to 
to get to those levels, um, what once again, uh, the, the, the Marnie one might worries me, but mate, the guys that you mentioned that they've re-signed between Moses, Gutho and Paulo, mate, that, that, that's a team that's going to get you to finals footy every year, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's, you know, as much as we hate, you know, as fans, it sucks that they sign a year out, but it gives the Eels such a chance now to go, okay, we've lost Marnie, we've come to grips with it, no, they obviously, they obviously, oh, I forgot they signed Hodgson as well. Um, yeah. And so it gives them time to replace Marnie. And I think that the Eels are going to have faith in their development to go, okay, look, maybe we're not going to get a guy as good as Reed Marnie, but maybe we're going to get a guy that's on two to 300K that just delivers really good pill to Mitchell Moses and defends really well. And that's all we need from him. Um, and, and then they can spend their money elsewhere. I, I agree with the Papali'i thing. I think, and look, he gets a bad rap because of what happened at the Tigers uh, with Ryan Madison. But he is, you go and watch, when the Eels are going well and Madison is playing, and I know he's had some issues with head knocks, and let's just, let's just assume he's going to be injury-free for the rest of his career. He is a fucking top-tier back rower. And I think the Eels were backing that. I think the Eels are going, look, Ryan Madison, they've probably got him for maybe 400, three to 400. Uh, instead of paying Papali'i 600, we keep Madison because we, they re-signed. I'm pretty sure they extended Madison this year. Uh, it would have been probably for less than he's worth due to the fact that he'd had some issues with head knocks. I think they're banking on the fact that, you know, a year ago or a year and a half ago, Madison was in the, in the New South Wales squad. Uh, and when you look at when the, eel, the Eels are going well, Madison is a big part of that. Matter of fact, I think it might have been the Storm game where he was a big reason for two of their tries. I could be wrong. Um, with crossfield kicks or something. Uh, anyway, do you feel that they've kind of banked on the Madison being injury-free going forward? Yeah, I think they have, and I would as well. I, I love Maddo. I think he's a tremendous player. I think people forget that he's a premiership winner as well. He came through that Rooster system. He won over there. Came up with a couple of big plays in that grand final as well. Like, he's a he's a proper footballer. He's another guy that I would put him into that Victor Radley category that, you know, I'm not sure if he's going to play origin football now. He's probably been unlucky with his timing and everything. But, mate, if he was to be picked tomorrow, he wouldn't let you down. He, he's, a, he's a proper um, professional too, Ryan Madison. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you, you've spoken to him on your, on your podcast. You'd be able to talk more about it. But, mate, every time I see him, everyone else has got a beer in their hand. He, he's got a... You know, kombucha. He's he's all. He seems to be training all the time. He just seems to be a complete professional. So, I, I'm more than happy to back Matto in to hopefully go injury free. Because if he does, you've got a premier player as well, and you've also got a guy that can play lock forward as well. He's got a bit of handy balls because he can handle himself in the halves as well. Played a lot there when he was growing up. So, and the, the game you're talking about, he scored a few tries off kicks and whatnot. Uh, mate, he's got that sort of ability. He's got that sort of ability to be able to pull something out of nowhere. And then you look at the stat sheet and he's made 45 tackles and he's missed none. Mm. And he just, he, his, his edge is always so solid mm. because of him. I, I'm a big fan of Matto and I, yeah, I, as I said, I think letting Papali'i go, I don't hate it. I think they've got enough guys to be able to cover that loss without a doubt. Yeah. And, and it's, don't get me wrong, absolutely stings. Um, Papali'i was playing such good footy, but I just think it was a reality of the salary cap. There's only so much you can do to keep certain players. And if they could have managed to find a way to keep him, it would have been incredible for uh, the Eels. But I think they're banking on Madison Brown um, to really cover, you know, to cover that top tier of back rower that you need. Uh, I know, I know, Brown yep. is a thirteen, but they're just that top tier edge 
back kind of players. Like you, you can you put Brown on his best day, you put Madison on his best day. That's right up there with Crichton. It's right up where there. Like Brown on his best day is, you know, just a, a tick under Murray, a tick under Isaiah Yo. He brings a very different kind of thing. Um, and and I think in Eels' defence, Brown and Madison they've really struggled to get game like a long stretch of games together over the last twelve months. Um, and the oomph that Brown brings, I think, is going to really help them in 2023. So, uh, yeah, that was a big victory. Now, this is a really interesting one, this next one, because when it happened, it was huge. And then I think that Sharks, you know, I don't think they handle it really well, but they kind of navigated their way out of it because they had such a good signing and then they ended up signing really good players. But when you look back on hindsight and the fact that they didn't make the finals, you could argue that the the John Morris sac- sensationally being sacked by the Sharks uh, probably hurt them more than it should have and probably ended up being uh, – they ended up paying the price of mismanaging the way they got rid of John Morris. Now, again, I'm not, uh, I'm not saying that it was a bad call to sign another coach, but the sacking of John Morris, I do feel it was handled poorly by the Sharks. What, what do you, now that all the dust has settled – you know, looking past the fact that they did end up signing really good players and Craig Fitzgibbon uh, ended up signing with them, the fact of the matter is they missed the finals, whereas under John Morris they didn't. What, what are your thoughts on it? I, I thought the sacking was an absolute shit fight. Um, there's only half the teams that make the finals every year. John Morris made it two from two. And then you consider what actually happened throughout those seasons, how much footy Sean Johnson missed, Matt Moylan, Wade Graham, um, do you remember he had Josh Morris and he let him go to the Roosters because he had Bronson Zerry? Then he lost Bronson Zerry. He lost, he lost two guys that, you know, Josh Morris is an Australian centre. I think Bronson Zerry would have been an Australian centre over the next few years. Like, he lost premier players. You had, you know, Josh Dugan who, like, he, he wasn't himself for a very long time there. There were so many guys. And he had a salary cap. Had he had salary cap, uh, I think it was like 700K or something, or whatever the number was due to the Flanagan situation. So he actually had less of a salary cap to work with because of this Flanagan situation. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Fafita, with all due respect to him, like uh, uh, obviously not the same player that he used to be as well. Like he was the best front row in rugby league five years ago. He's probably a bench front row there. He's going to do his job, but it's a lot of oomph that you've lost there as well. I mean, I I just think that John Morris had so many things go against him Mm. and he still managed to make finals two years in a row. Now, Granted, last year was a shortened season. Um, they got they had a record of ten and ten. I understand that. But at the time, they were the worst team to ever make finals. But I mean, he got them there. All things considered, I just I thought it was very tough on him to get dumped. I think that it's. I'm not sure if I've ever seen something so poorly handled that's turned out so good. To be honest with you, it's crazy to think about it in hindsight. Yeah, I, I think that. I think the signings that they got. And getting Fitzgibbon across there really, uh, it was like a strong band-aid. And I think that we, we can't, it's very easy to forget that the same people that are overseeing Fitzgibbon treated John Morris like this. Um, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying if you're a Sharks fan that you should be going, oh, okay, you know what, actually that's fucked and our season was shit. Not at all. I, I, I'm of the mind we're actually – we could be seeing – now, you know what, I'll just say it. I'm of the mind, I've got that much faith in Fitzgibbon that we could be seeing the next club to push into that top six, top five like the Parramatta Eels did a few years ago. I, I truly – that's how much I, 
I rate Fitzgibbon. That's how much I think he's going to bring. So I'm really bullish on the Sharks being that next side. Uh, but everything's great now because they've signed Hines. They've signed Finucane. They've signed, um, you know, Cam McInnes. The, the concern yeah. is, is if, if, if they struggle, will the board treat, you know, the new guy like this? I'm, I'm, I'm assuming not, but it is just something to mention. You know, it's something just to, li- to, to not forget, you know? Yeah, and look, oh, I had Craig Kitzgibbon on my podcast started last year. Champion fella, awesome bloke. Um, the one thing I will say about Craig Fitzgibbon that I think people are maybe overlooking a little bit, and, you know, this is sort of playing devil's advocate a little bit, Mate, Craig Fitzgibbon has been in that rooster system for 20 years. He arrived there in, I think it was 2000. He's never left there. It's always been a, an extremely well-run system. He's been under Trent Robinson, the best coach in the game. I think it's sort of a bit like what we were talking about with um, – with the bunnies coach, like you're under Wayne and you learn so many things, but there's probably already also so many things that you probably aren't able to grasp as well. Cause they're just so used to going about their business. So mm. oh, I think it'll be interesting if the sharks do struggle a little bit more than what we're anticipating, which I don't think they will, but if they do, I mean, this board has shown that apparently having a winning record isn't enough at their club. So mm. it could be, it could be really interesting times. And it seems to me when, when you hear, Dale talk, when you hear Nico talks, it sounds like Craig Fitzgibbon was the guy that got them over the line. So it's a really interesting situation. And I think Craig is going to be put in a lot of spots this year that he's got no experience in, which is completely fair enough. He's a first-year coach. But I think they do need to be patient with this side. They're, like He's also coming from this Roosters team. He now doesn't have a halfback, realistically. He's going to have to sort of makeshift his way through that. He's got Nico Hines coming in, who's a star, but he hasn't played with any of these blokes before. Mm. Um, so there's going to be a lot of tests down there in Cronulla. I, I think that they are good enough to be a top six team. I, I've got them sort of penciled in at, at six, seven, eight for next year. I'm confident they make finals. I don't think they can win a comp, but if they get a few crucial injuries in the halves or if Nico Hines goes down, it could be really interesting times over, over there at Cronulla. Oh, absolutely. I've got Next year, I've got incredible year. They finished sixth. Um, average year they finish eighth and then ninth. So I've got them between sixth and ninth next year. But then the following two to three years with a guy like Fanukan building the culture, um, if if they can really and and that's where I'm I'm really bullish on the Sharks because I feel Fitzgibbon has identified Fanukan as that guy, and um, everyone knows that like Craig Bellamy, the the goat coach essentially, or at least one of them, has. Vanukin as basically his main guy. Like, he he rates him that highly. Um, but it, you're right, it's going to be really interesting. And, and, and it, it brings up a really good point that um, I think I think we may have discussed it before. Uh, if not, it brings up a really good point that Adam O'Brien, the Knights coach, he went to the Knights. It's, it's Adam O'Brien, isn't it? Correct? Yeah. So the Knights yeah, coach. AOB, yeah. yeah. Adam O'Brien, he, he was with the Storm. He was with the Roosters. And... When he went to the Knights and things weren't clicking, you could see like his frustration in the press conferences. And he even actually came out a, like a couple months later and said he was probably too harsh on his players in the press conference. And I think that it's a really good example. What exactly what you were saying is that you can't expect to go to the Knights and think it's going to be at the same standard as the Roosters. You've got to allow time for those standards to be built. And I think if there's one thing that you would be telling Craig Fitzgibbon going to this, and to be really clear, who the fuck am I to tell Craig Fitzgibbon anything? It's to be aware that 
all the little things that you're so used to, like when you rock up, there's all the young boys, they're all already doing extras. And the older boys, have, you know, they're doing passes with the rookies coming through. And, oh, they stayed back and, and you didn't even have to say anything. And, and all, all the supplements are there ready to go. And all the staff are, are working at this crazy. I think that uh, Fitzgibbon needs to be aware that maybe it's going to take a year or two to get to that point or even maybe three years where the culture is so good that everyday standards are the same as Roosters. Because let's be really clear here, all of the bottom teams, their standards, their everyday standards when it comes to training, when it comes to video sessions, aren't at the same level as your Roosters, as your Storms. Um, And I think that Adam O'Brien maybe fell into that trap a little bit, expecting the boys maybe to be similar to what he was like at the Roosters and the Storm. And I agree with you. I think that just like the Knights need to be patient with Adam O'Brien, I think Craig needs to be patient uh, with the Sharks. What are your thoughts on the comparison to the Knights? Yeah, I think it's really fair. And, you know, all, all I could just think about them was Craig Fitzgibbon over the last four years, you know, sitting in video sessions, talking to his halves, and he's talking to Cooper Cronk, Luke Keary. I mean, these are premier guys to ever play our game. Now he's walking to Cronulla, and this is with all due respect to those guys, but you got Braden Schindel, who's a young guy. you got Matty Moylan, who hasn't played his best footy in four or five years. you got Nico Hines, who, you know, personally, I, I think he's a better fullback than he is 5'8". I think he'll do a good job at 5'8", no doubt about it, but he's also young and inexperienced. Yeah, I'm also looking at this side, and I think Cam McInnes will play 13. I think Cam McInnes is one of the best defenders in rugby league, so I would have him there without a doubt. But the attacking side of things, you know, I mean, he's not a Victor Radley, and that's mm. the other thing that the Roosters have had for years is Radley. He's essentially a halfback in Jersey 13. So it's going to be a huge transition, and I hadn't even thought about the Adam O'Brien comparison, but I think it's spot on, mate. You go from these top clubs where everything is set out, as you said, even the day-to-day at training, but then you get out on the field and you get to those big moments and you don't have those experienced heads that are signing with the Roosters or with the Melbourne Storm probably for less money, which also allows you to put more guys around them. Like, it's going to be a tough gig. And if they have one or two injuries, which it's the NRL, you're going to have injuries, you're going to have injuries in key spots, it's going to be a very, very interesting time for Cronulla. I've got them penciled in 6th, 7th, as you said as well. Uh, But... Yeah, I don't think it's going to be as rainbows and smiles as, uh, as as a lot of people are telling me. Yeah, no, I think it's going to take time. But I, what I what I like about the signings that Fitzgibbons has made is that I think, again, I've got no idea, but I think he's identified that. I think that he's gone yep. and said, I need to make three signings that are all about culture, that are all about the little details, they're all about hard work. And I think a McInnes, a Finucane and Hines – are exactly that. Um, and so, look, I, yeah, I, I'm a massive fan of Fitzgibbon. He's actually the defensive coach, I'm pretty sure, for New South Wales. Is that correct, Matt? Yeah, he was up until, yeah. obviously, this year. Up until this year. So, I mean, this guy's resume, you, you can't get any better. You, you honestly, outside of him going to the Super League and winning a comp, you you really can't get a better resume than a Craig Fitzgibbon. So, I, I have big, big faith um, in it. Uh, yeah, but to be really clear, let's not forget that Josh... Morris, the handling of that I thought was really, really poor and unfair on Morris. I feel that I understand the Sharks wanting to get rid of him early because if he then if he then went on and took that team to like a top six finish, it would have made them look silly. But I think they probably yep. needed to, in my opinion, I feel like the board probably should have swallowed their pride and and just said, you know what, if he does, let's back our decision and, and have confidence in our decision to bring Fitzgibbon across anyway. You know, even if Josh... Morris, um, sorry, John Morris does take us to top six 
in some crazy uh, season, let's back our decision and say we are confident that Fitzgibbon is the man for the job. And I feel that I, I understand why the board did it. You know, they're trying to protect the, the, the Sharks brand. They're trying to protect their decision. I totally get that. I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying it would have been an easy, easy decision for anyone or that they even wanted to do it. Um, but if that was me in that position, I would have backed my own decision of we believe Fitzgibbon is a better first-grade coach than John Morris, even though we love John Morris as a bloke. That's my decision. And I tell you what, if Fitzgibbon comes in and we go worse, I'll fall on my sword and I'll see you later. That's, that's, in my, that's the way I probably would have handled it. Very easy to say. Very easy to say when it's, <laughs> it's your, not your job on the line. So maybe I wouldn't have done that. So um, interesting times for the Sharks. At least they've got a bit of hope. That's, that's the one thing I think the Sharks, since they won that grand final and they lost all of those club legends essentially – it's been very directionless and rudderless. We haven't really seen, like, where, who are the Sharks? Where are they going? I feel like we have a very clear direction of where the Sharks are going now. What do you think, Guru? Yeah, and I mean, you know, we, we just spoke about that um, that night where Pabby scored four tries and we said, you know, you can lose a game of football in five minutes. You just know that with Dale, Cam, the Sharks aren't going to be one of those teams. Mm. They are going to hang in the grind. They might not score as many points as some of these top-tier teams without an established seven, but he has recruited recruited the right culture guys that I just know they're going to be okay. Defense, it still wins premierships. I think they're going to be one of the better defensive sides in this competition. So, yeah, I, uh, mate, I, I, I just can't believe how well this has turned out for Cronulla yeah. based on how – like, I'm pretty sure John Morris got sacked after, the week after Sam Walker put on that masterclass. Mm. And I remember thinking then – Good God, for them to play the Roosters and get beat by four points when they were up by, you know, 10 with 10 minutes to go, for a coach to get sacked last night, like that week, they must have just been waiting for the opportunity for him to lose a game of football so they could get rid of him, especially after making finals the last two years. The optics were terrible. They were awful. From what I gathered, a lot of the Sharks fans, uh, Sharks players were John Morris fans, but I mean, I don't think you could possibly not be a Craig Fitzgibbon fan as well. So, man, I'm looking forward to having this conversation in a year, to be honest with you. Mm, absolutely. And, and just quickly, someone left a comment, which is really uh, a really good comment and a really good question, because we were saying we're extremely worried about the Knights because they don't have halves. You know, obviously Clifford yeah. is developing into one, but they left a comment, and I'm assuming they're a Knights fan. They, they were saying, how can we say that we're worried about the Knights? that don't have a half, and yet we're saying the Sharks, we're really, we think they could go really well when they don't have a half. What are your thoughts? And then I'll give my thoughts, Guru. Yeah, I, I thought it was a, a fair shout. Um, I mean, Jake Clifford played some great footy last year. I'm you know, I'm not totally convinced if he's going to do that for 26 weeks straight. It's a, it's a much tougher gig. I just think that this Sharks team, the guys they've recruited, the guys that are in this team, I just think defensively they're going to be so much better. And, you know, the Newcastle Knights, with all due respect to them, even when, when Mitchell Pearce was playing, they weren't a sensational defensive side realistically. Um, they were much better in attack, no doubt about it. And they were good enough in, in attack to be able to beat most sides outside of the top six when Pearce was there. But uh, I understand where he's coming from. But I, I just think when you look at this side from one end to the other, the Cronulla Sharks, and you look at what they've done over the last few years, the guy that's walking in as coach, I can just see them being more successful than the Newcastle Knights. I just think the halfback is going to be such a big miss for Newcastle. And, mate, hopefully this bloke messages me in a year's time and goes, you're an absolute muppet Jake Clifford carved, because that's what I want to see happen. Absolutely. I want Jake Clifford to kill it. I want KP to stay in Newcastle. I want them to be a powerhouse in rugby league. But 
I'm just calling it as I see it at the moment, and I don't see it playing out that way. Yeah, I agree. It's absolutely a fair shout, and it's, that's why I remembered it, because I'm like, it's a, it's a good point. But when you look at the specifics of it, I would say, is Clifford that much better than Trindle? I would say probably not. I actually really rate Trindle. I think that Trindle has a lot to offer. Now, don't get me wrong, Clifford is further along in his development, but he's, I, I don't feel that if you put Clifford, if you were Clifford versus Trindle, it would be a 50-50 bet who wins that, that battle, in, in my opinion. Again, I know Clifford's further along, um, and I hope Clifford kills it. He's shown some really good things. Whereas when you look at the number six for Knights, who's that? Guess who the number six is for the Sharks, most likely? Nico Hines. Yeah. And that's the Nico difference. You've got, you've got Trindle, who essentially is as good as Clifford. You've got Matty Moylan, who definitely can, if he plays his best footy, is as good as Clifford. And then you've got Nico Hines, who is... Honestly, any other year, you could argue was a top three player in the, whole, in the whole comp. There was a period there where his stats were out of this world. He just got swallowed up by the Tom Trevojevic um, machine. Uh, and so I think that that is truly the difference. Now, you could make the argument, all right, well, Will Kennedy versus Kalen Ponga. Um, but I, I just feel that, yes, obviously, Kalen Ponga at the moment is a better player, but Kennedy is still playing some really good footy, and he actually got the player of the year for the Sharks. Um, so the, the, the biggest issue for the Knights is their six is, is we, we don't even know who it is. We, like, is it Phoenix Cross? We have no idea. Yeah, and it, it'll be an unpopular opinion, and that's fine. You base it solely off 2021 form. Mate, I, I think there's an argument that Will Kennedy potentially played better than KP last year. I thought Will Kennedy was unreal for Cronulla to think – that they just signed Nico Hines and there isn't even a conversation about him playing fullback. I think Will Kennedy is incredibly underrated in rugby league. It's, I mean, you know what? It's, it's a fair shout of, of, of what you just said where to think Nico Hines isn't even considered fullback. That's a really good point. I would say I do believe Kalen Plonger, Plonger, <laughs> Kalen Ponger uh, performed better. What hurt him this year was injuries. Um, but to your point, Will Kennedy pretty much played every game. So it's not just about the one-off performances. It's about who delivered over the whole season more. I would still say Kalen Ponga, but I see your point. It is, it's it's, it's going to be probably unpopular opinion, but it's a fair shout. It's a fair shout. And if you disagree with that unpopular opinion, that's fine. But I think you've got to admit that the gap between Ponga and Kennedy over the last year, I think it's a lot closer than what people – you know, what, what, what you initially think, if you just watch the way that Will Kennedy played. And, you know, you also mentioned, um, you know, Jake Clifford and, Bl- and Braden Trindle. Is there really much difference between them? I don't think there is. But if you said to me, name your top, top 12 halfbacks in rugby league, I, I don't think either of them get a start. Mm. And then if I look, and then I have to look at the rest of the side and that's where I sort of start to lift the Cronulla Sharks up a little bit. I think they're both good young players. I think they're both handy. I think we keep coming back to it. They're young. It takes young halves a long time to develop. There will be your exceptions, Joey, Freddie, Cleary, these sort of guys. But the reality is that it takes time for these guys to develop. They've jumped around um, a couple of systems and whatnot. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the year, these guys are, you know, proper first grade halfbacks that you know are going to be there week in, week out. But at the moment, um, they're young and they've still got a heap of, of development to come over the next year. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, 
we're talking about 2021 form. We're not talking about Kalen Ponga career versus Kennedy career. We're talking about, um, I would still have Kalen Ponga ahead though. Like I, when he did play, fuck man, he helped the Knights to so many victories. Like he was crucial in so many victories. But when you first said it, I was like, Guru, you're off your head. But when you sit down and really think about how impactful Kennedy was to that shark side, even though they didn't make the eight, it's not as crazy, you know, it really isn't as crazy as you think. So it's a fair shout that. I'll have to, I want to think about that because it's a fair shout. Because Kennedy, I will say, Kennedy was probably the most underrated fullback of 2021. That's a fair shout. If you said to me, you have to pick one of them to be your fullback, I'm going to go with Kalen Ponga. Yeah, I'm not arguing that. Yeah. But 2021, I think there is a fair shout that Will Kennedy probably outplayed him. Has he got the same skill set? Has he got the same highlights? No way. But he did his job for Cronulla week in, week out. And I come back to once again, Nico Hines, who I would argue is probably a top seven fullback in rugby league right now, isn't even being considered for the fullback jersey at Cronulla. It is interesting. It's a very interesting point. I like it. I think it's going to spark a lot of chitter chatter in the comment section, but I like it. I think it's fucking, you've put your balls on the line, Guru. You've put them on the table. They might get chopped off, but that's okay. We move forward. Uh, we keep going. <laughs> Won't take out much of your table, don't worry. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, this, I lo- this one was one of my favourites. This was honestly, this could, be to- this could be number one for me because this is how much. Number five, Wayne Bennett versus Ivan Cleary feud erupts. Now, during the feud, it was a clear win by Wayne Bennett. Wayne Bennett, the master, the guru, the, the, the big balls Bennett has done it again. He's manipulated the media. He's got his coach that's all rolled up against. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, who walked away with the chockies? What did you think about this blow up? Mate, when you, when, when you look at this little feud j- just in a bubble on its own with no hindsight, uh, as you said, it's a knockout victory to Wayne. I, I couldn't believe the way that Ivan reacted. Oh, I was just looking at him going, fuck, he, he, he is paying rent in your head right now. You have, you've ran into this trap. It's mm. unbelievable. And it was very un-Ivan from what I thought, from what I knew of Ivan. I couldn't believe it. And, you know, all I could picture was the drive home and Nate sort of going, oh, you kind of shit the bed there, like, you know, what what on earth was that? But, mate, you chuck hindsight into it, you take it out of the vacuum, and I love Wayne. I think he's probably the best coach we've ever seen, but he got out coached that night for me. Um, it was a game that was, you know, and no shock, it was refereed a little bit differently to probably your regular season games. It was a little bit tighter, which happens in every finals game of every sport in the universe. And I think Ivan reacted the quickest to it. Uh, we're now seeing real changes. They're going to probably come in off the back of that grand final. But mate, credit to Ivan. He addressed what was going on. He saw what was in front of him. He adapted to it. Um, and, yeah, as you said, who came home with the, with the chockies at the end? Ivan had the trophy at the end of the year. So well done to him, mate, to pull himself off that canvas. Because I'm sure there would have been a moment where Ivan would have got home that night, looked at the ceiling, just gone, Fuck. Fuck, what just happened? How on earth did I just let myself get that rattled? But then, mate, six weeks later, holding a trophy to go on the finals run they did, we'll talk about it later. But I, I thought it was incredible by Ivan. I, I still don't think he's getting the compliments from 2021 that he should. I thought it was an incredible season from him, what he achieved. Yeah, it's really interesting because it makes me think, and I, I'm probably way too conspiratorial about this, but was it intentional? Because it was so out of character for Ivan. You know, just to 
to come out and be so public about it and all, and also to almost start it, you know, to, to, to be going to the media and saying, well, this got, you know, Wayne went to the refs and asked them to stop doing this. Like it was so out of character and out of nowhere. It was almost like a play that Wayne would make to put pressure on the referees. Yeah. Like this is, this is a Wayne move to, to pressure the referees to protect their players, uh, protect the Penrith Panthers booze or the Rabbitohs players. Um, and so, I mean, whether it was intentional or not, it clearly had the, the desired result for Ivan. It clearly galvanised his team. It clearly made the refs very, very vigilant on specific things that, um, that both coaches wanted because it was a very tightly ref game. Um, but I, I agree with you as well. I, I think that in the game... I think that Wayne Bennett wanted to – he has a certain principles that he kind of abides. Like Wayne Bennett's teams have never been, um, you know, stretching the rules and like a lot of wrestle and all that kind of stuff. Whereas I think Ivan, he, he, saw, he saw the holes in the new rules. He saw ways in which that they could be manipulated. Very, very um, Bellamy-esque, I would say. Very Bell- – like Bellamy for years has been so good at just take – just – just here's the edge. I'm just going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep pushing it. Uh, Robinson does it to an extent, and this is again. This is. Please don't conflate this with um, cheap tactics or anything like this. This is winners winning at all costs. And I think that Ivan was aware that if he laid on the, if they laid in the ruck a little bit longer, we're willing to give away a few six agains just to get to just to feel how long can we lie on them how long before let's play a bit of game of chicken with the refs in a grand final will you blow blow the whistle and give a six again uh, or will you allow it to go um and I, I agree with you i think in the grand final you could probably say ivan cleary outcoached wayne but when you talk about the the verbal sparring match it was a a 10-8 round ko oh my god i think he died in the ring kind of stuff uh, so, yeah, but Ivan Cleary on the night, he does not get enough raps for how he has turned that club around. He does not get enough raps for the fact that we've spoken about it with Nathan Cleary, but two years ago, they didn't have a single player that was best in position. That is a fact. That is a fact. Now they have multiple people that you could argue are best in position. And guess who the coach has been over the last two years? And guess who was the undercurrent reason for last year? Apparently it was Trent Barrett. Apparently Trent Barrett had come in and he was the reason why they were going so well. Trent Barrett leaves, they take another step, they go even better. Again, not to say that Trent Barrett didn't help, not to say that he wasn't good, but Ivan Cleary is not getting the raps that he deserves. And, mate, I think there's a fair argument, you know. All anyone told you was that Trent Barrett was so good for their attack. And we got to the back end of the season, and, you know, with all due respect to Penrith, their attack was pretty bang average. But their defense was unbelievable. So, you know, I had people say to me, oh, the Panthers have a squad built for the modern rules. They wouldn't have won a comp 10 years ago. I'm going, bullshit. Did you see the way they adapted? They adapted in game. I mean, you, you, you said before that Penrith's mindset was, oh, we'll see if you give a penalty. Mate, I think their mindset was you give a penalty, mm. but then we're going to bash the opposition on the next two tackles and it's not going to fucking matter anyway. Yeah. I just think they, they went in there with the objective to give away six agains. They knew that they could gear up their defense. They got out there and the eye test said, hey, it's not a 10 meter, it's an eight meter. Mm. We lay all day in our own half. We belt them. And then they're only going to make 30, 40 meters on every single set. And 
I, I don't think South Sydney did enough of that. And, you know, I had South Sydney fans saying, oh, Penrith got away with murder. It's like, same ref, same field, same game. Mm. Better yep. coaching at that moment. And it's all about adapting. It's all about if the ref is, you know, allowing Penrith to lay on, well, then, okay, you lay on and, and find ways. Kick early. Um, you know, I, I think there was plenty of opportunities for Rabbitohs to win that game. There, it, wasn't, it wasn't so poorly ref that they were just refed out of the game at all, in my opinion. Uh, again, we have to look at it. How did they lose the game? It was from an intercept, you know. Um, to be, and, and to give credit to Rabbitohs, they also defended incredibly, incredibly. I mean, it was, this was not a blowout. This, no, this was not a blowout at all. This was a tit-for-tat, who's going to break first? And the only real break, in quotation marks, was a cutout ball caught by one of the gen- most genetically gifted tall athletes we have in the NRL. Anyone else on that wing, other than maybe Daniel Tupu, it goes over his head and they probably score. Uh, so, and that was the difference. That was truly the difference. Yeah, mate, I, I've said a few times in the last few minutes that I think Ivan outcoached Wayne unbelievably. They won by four points. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't much. It was tight as it could have possibly been. It came down to an intercept. I mean, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I was talking to Nathan Clear a few weeks ago and he said that, you know, Stephen Crichton, he practices that sort of stuff and, you know, that, that's all good and well, but there's, you know, when you go for an intercept, you are going all chips in. I mean, if the, if he doesn't take that ball, he's a second later. Oh. I think Cody Walker's a Clive Churchill medalist. He's the unluckiest guy to never win a, a Dalian medal this year. It, the narrative is complete. And all of a sudden, Ivan's a moron. Mm. It, it changes everything. It all comes down to that split-second moment, and that's where you want guys, you know, you, you called him a um, genetic freak, and he is just... Something else, Stephen Crichton. He is unbelievable, and you want those guys in your teams that you know you look, you know South Sydney. They've got one of those guys, but he wasn't on the field. Latrell yep. Mitchell, yeah, and that's that can be the difference in these big games. Absolutely. I mean, you, you look at Trell. Is he, how many games has Trell saved and won and changed and a huge play? I mean, Greg Inglis was the king of it, the king of it. New South Wales were winning. They had us. They had us done. And then Greg Inglis would just make a play that only Greg Inglis could make. And it's the same with Crichton. Again, I'm not saying he's Greg Inglis, but Steve Crichton made a play that only Steve Crichton could make. And you know what? He made at least two to three similar plays in the final series. Put it this way. Steve Crichton is the most underappreciated player of the whole final series. Because without him... He was the MVP. Without him, Parramatta Eels win that game. He, he had an intercept. He had try-saving tackles. Um, so, yeah, Crichton made at least three plays in the final series that won the Penrith Panthers the game. Uh, and, and he did in the grand final. Mate, he, he had a tackle in the prelim against Melbourne on Justin Olam that was unbelievable. He also came up with the first try there. It was a set play for Penrith yep. um, that, that Nathan Cleary knew all season. He was waiting for the moment to use it. And he took that moment and, you know, I said to him on my podcast, like, is there a better bloke in the universe to kick to outside of Stephen Crichton? And he sort of said, mate, as long as the ball hit my foot, he was going to catch it. It didn't matter where it was going in that vicinity. He's just that sort of a guy. And, yeah, mate, there is a game in – there is a moment in every single one of their their wins in the finals where I think they lose it if Stephen Crichton isn't on the field. I totally agree. I totally agree. And and it's that – just that X factor, you know – you could do nothing all game, but you'd pay him half a million a year just for those moments, you know, just for those moments. So, yeah, huge, huge, um, 
yeah, it's that, that's why I love doing these top tens because like the Wayne Bennett Ivor Cleary thing, we speak about it in in time when it happens, and it was oh my god, what is doing Ivan Cleary? Just just don't say anything. It's getting worse. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, when the only thing that matters, it doesn't matter how cool you look because we don't care about that here on Bloke in a Bar. How cool you are, we care about winning <laughs> footy matches. <laughs> and what do you know? Ivan Cleary won the footy match. Um, now, number four, this is something that. Definitely got lost in the ether. Cameron Smith retires on the eve of the season. What were your thoughts on all how that happened? I, I, what me personally, I absolutely loved it. You know why? Because he didn't dance to anyone else's beat. He didn't, you know, give the media what they wanted, and he didn't go around like everyone was complaining. He's got to say this and he's got to say that, and yet. He doesn't have to say anything. As long as the Storm and him are happy, that is the only, and his own family's happy, that's all that matters. And Cam Smith went out exactly the way he wanted to go out. Mate, I, I thought it was one of the most underrated moments of the year when Cameron Smith took 10 footballs to a park with him and started kicking the corners. I, I just thought that was one of the greatest trolls of all time. The entire rugby league world is waiting to see what the GOAT's going to do. And just to take the – he knew he wasn't playing at that point. He knew he wasn't playing in, in November the year before. He goes down to the park with a heap of footies and kicks to corners. I just thought that was incredible. Um, I think it's something, you know, we, we talk about Tao Malolo, how strong he is. We talk about, you know, Tom Travojevic, how strong, how fast he is. Mate, to his last day in rugby league, Cameron Smith was the smartest guy on and off the field. Mm. And I think it's an asset we, we don't give him enough credit for. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and when you look at his career, it is absurd. His career is absurd. And and no, absolutely no disrespect to any current Storm players. I, I think they would all all admit this, but Storm probably win the comp if he still plays this year. That's how influential he is at 38. I, I had a Storm player say to me that they don't win 2020 if he's not there and they win 2021 if he is there about two weeks ago. Yeah. He, that's that's how good he is, and it, it, like I just feel that, and, and this is to take nothing away from Penrith, absolutely not. This is more speaking about, I mean, and, and who knows, who knows? We could be totally wrong, and they get towed up by Penrith, and it's 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 totally different. But if Cameron Smith plays this year, you know, it's a totally different. They, they in that semi final, they just didn't look like the Storm. And if there was one player that could have gone, boys, what is doing? Um, it's, it's Cam Smith. That's how good he was at the end of his career. I think he probably went out playing the best footy we've ever seen from a player. I would say that because even a guy like Billy Slater, when he, had, he went out, the tides were changing a bit. He'd gone through his injuries. He was still really good, but it was more, oh, wow, like Slater's still moving really well. But Tedesco was kind of entered the picture um, you know, Tom Travojevic had had some good years. Whereas a, a Cameron Smith, in his last game of footy, he was undoubtedly, by a country mile, the best nine in the game. Mate, I would argue, I know Ryan Pappenhausen got the Clive Churchill. I, I thought Cameron Smith was the best on the field, to be honest with you. They I, actually, you know, like, they actually paid out at yeah. enough time. Yeah, yep. I, I, like it was, it was insane. I remember at the end of the game looking at it, and he was he was like a dollar and eight cents to get it. And funnily enough, twenty seventeen was the exact same thing. He was a dollar and eight cent, and they and they gave it to Billy Slater. I think you know because of the narrative and everything, which which was fair enough. But mm. 
But I, I was like not saying that Pappy didn't deserve that. Clive, he played unbelievably. He came up with probably the biggest play in that game, that try that he scored off the scrum. But mm. man, I thought Cameron Smith was unbelievable. And when when you consider that he was in his 18th year of first grade, the rules changed completely to make the game faster than it ever has been. And the oldest bloke on the field was still the most important bloke on the field. It's mind-boggling. It's it's Tom Brady-esque. Is that's exactly what it is. Absolutely. I totally agree. And, and the thing with the Cam Smith is like the Storm often get associated very strongly with the wrestle. And, and so did Cameron Smith. What I love about the new rules for his legacy is it, it drove home. No, no, no. The Storm aren't just these guys that are good at wrestle and they just managed to have a good dominant period. All the rules changed. And guess who was still the best player in the game? It was Cameron Smith. And we forget that Cameron Smith was playing before the wrestle came in as well. And he was playing for Queensland. And I, I really think it helped his legacy that the rules did get changed because it said, okay, even his most like, ardent people that dislike him have to admit he's the GOAT. Like, they, you just have to admit. At, at the very least, put it this way, he's the only player, his position is the only player that is out and out the GOAT in his position. Every other position... There's a debate. Like some people don't think Joey's the best seven ever. ever. They say Sterlow or they might, you know what I mean? Some people don't think that Glenn Lazarus is the best front rower. There's, there's a bit of argument. There is absolutely zero. There's not even a peep from people that hate Cameron Smith that wouldn't say he is the greatest nine of all time. Would you agree? Do you agree with he's the only player that is undoubtedly the goat in his position? Oh, without a doubt. I think that it's Cameron Smith and there's a gap and then you can throw together you know, Danny Badiris, Benny Elias, Steve Walters. But I don't, I, I've never heard anyone really argue that any of those guys is better mm. than Cam Smith. I think the other thing about the 2020 Premiership is that, you know, people also want to say, oh, he always had Slater and Cronk. He didn't. He still got it done. He was 37 years old. He was playing – they didn't play a game in Melbourne for the last 16 weeks. He was living out of a suitcase. Mm. It, it, like, the more you think about what he achieved in that game – and, mate, Penrith were red hot at the back end of that game. Now, people forget, I, th- I think Brandon Smith was sent the, from the field. I think yeah. Jerome Hughes might have got 10 in the bin as well. But it, it was a soccer team out there, and Cameron Smith just calmed it down, yep. took control of the moment. Um, it's it's incredible. And, you know, I, I said before, um, if – like, he was unlucky not to win the Clive that year. He was unlucky not to win the Clive in 2017. Mate, the, the grand final against Cronulla, if they scored on that last play, do, do you know how many tackles Cameron Smith made in that game? How many? He made 74 tackles in that grand final. 74. If Melbourne would have scored on the bell, he would have got Clive in that as well. I mean, it is – it's insane to think about the career that he had. I, I, I've, I've been saying for a while, if you split his career in two, into half, I think both are immortal worthy. That's so fucking true. I think the first nine years and then the last nine years are both immortal worthy for me. He's, he's absolute shoo-in for immortality, like absolute yep. shoo-in. Um, again, the, the, the closest player I think where, again, don't get me wrong, I, I do believe Joey is the greatest seven, um, but I think there is a much more heated debate of, and a much more reasonable debate of, you know, oh, I actually think that this player is the best seven, whereas I, don't, I truly believe there is no reasonable debate that Cameron Smith isn't the best night of all time. There's no... Any reasonable person um, would not just – you just can't – he's undeniable. And that's why even though I believe 
you know, I think that Lockie's the greatest player of all time. I know it's because of my bias, but you've got to look at Cameron Smith and you look at his career and everything's achieved. No one has come close. He, like, no one has come close with his what he's done. And then, I uh, you know, and not that they are the be-all and end-all, but, fuck, winning has to matter at some point. Yeah. The bloke was, what is it, nine Origin Series he would have won, eight or something along those lines. Uh, you know, he, what, five, six premierships. <laughs> Sweet, take two of them off him. He still won three or four. Yeah. Like, it's unbelievable. And, I mean, I'm sitting here going, geez, with all, once again, with all due respect to Penrith, I think if he plays this year, they potentially win a premiership. Uh, you know, you can't say that for sure, obviously, but that's the sort of influence that this guy had. And, yeah, I mean, before Cameron's – the other thing with Cameron Smith is that, you know, he put up a really good argument that Hooker is the most important position on the field because he was so crucial to Melbourne. But mm. no one else has been able to replicate – the sort of influence that he has on a football team. So we still sort of lean towards your halfbacks and your fullbacks probably being the MVP guys. But, mate, I, I think Cameron Smith, you can put him into any era of rugby league ever, and I think he would be just as dominant, and I think he would make the hooker position just as important. Yeah. Now, you, you ever think about the careers that are ruined because they existed at the same time as Cameron Smith? Oh. Fucking poor old Jake Friend. Yeah, he's won more premierships than Joey, most of the immortals, and he doesn't even get a feature because he was a Queenslander. It came along in the same yeah era same as Cam. Yeah, Matty Ballin to an extent coming Ballin? through. Yeah, mate. <laughs> so like you had this this five year battle between Ennis and Farah, who was going to get the Blues jersey, yeah. and you wouldn't even have a conversation about them playing for the Kangaroos. Yeah, yeah it's so true. It's so true. Yeah, so. Cam Smith retires, and, and again, I loved the way he did it. So casually, you know what? I'm just going to go down and out. See you, boys. Right off into the sunset. He never, ever played the media game. He never really got involved in all that. Um, yeah, absolutely the best way to do it. Now, uh, number three, Turbo suffers infamous preseason injury. Returns has essentially the greatest season of all time. Now, when this all happened, when he got injured, I thought, we're done here. I thought we are. We've yeah. just witnessed. We've just witnessed the most potential to never be reached in the history of the game. I truly believe that. I truly believed that Tom Trevojevic would be plagued with injuries throughout his whole career because he's just fought too finely tuned. You know, put him in the NFL or something because that way they can just control his minutes. They can control. You know what I mean? It's you know he does a few sprints a game and that's pretty much it. I was sitting there going, we have just witnessed the death of one of the truly could be one of the greatest of all time for then for him to come back and put the season on that he did you couldn't write it if you if you told your when we tell our kids the story of tom dravojevic they won't believe when we say he had six line breaks three tries two try assists 10 tackle breaks and he did it every single week they won't believe it. They'll be like, oh, they're just, they, you know, rose-coloured glasses. Our, our parents are just, you know, re remembering the glory days. You know what I mean? They truly won't believe it. And then you've got to point out that Des Hasler probably took him off in the 60th minute yeah. to <laughs> yeah. put him on eye. Yes. yes. I mean, it's, it's incredible what he did. I, I, I've spoken about this on my page, but, mate, just some numbers. He, he averaged 2.3 Dally M points per game last year. Per game. So... If you go back to 20, 2007, Thurston won the Dalian with 36 points. No one's ever scored more than 36 points. Thurston did it in 25 games. If Turbo would have played 25 games, he would have scored 50 Dalian points this year if you, if you keep that average, which is – Mate, do you remember how well Cody Walker played this well this year? 
He only scored 26 Dalian points. So he scored nine less than Tom Trevojevic in 10 more games. It's like just... It's, it's just the, more, the more you look into it, the crazier it gets. Two, he averaged 2.3 Dalian points. So he was, at worst, the second best player on the field out of 34 every week. Every week, no matter what. Um, and his stats are absolutely crazy. They're like... You know, they're like 1.5 tries a game, 2.5 tries. There's something crazy, absolutely crazy. Uh, I don't I don't care what anyone says. No one predicted this year from Tom Dravojevic. No one. Not to this extent. Nah. And what's really interesting no. is um, I remember a few years ago, someone said, I think it was along the lines of, would you sign Slater or Tom Dravojevic to Andrew Johns? I'm pretty sure. It was, it was Tom Dravojevic and some established first grader. And he said Tom Travojevic, and, and he got a lot of pushback. Everyone was going, are you serious? Like, he's, you know, he's good, but he's young and rara. You know, Joey could clearly see what this guy could do. But it just, even now when I think about the year that was, it still doesn't seem real. It's still that when you think about the dominance that he displayed and how it was almost, it was like watching junior footy. It was like watching junior footy with the, the one team that has a gun that's going to end up playing NRL eventually, but we were watching it in NRL. And not only did he do it in NRL, he did it on the biggest stage in Origin as well. That game won from him. He went to Origin without a position yeah. and was still the best player on the well, they, they They put number four or three on his back, but he mm. just did his own shit. I mean, it was it – was, and then you cast your mind back, you know, to the start of the season – Manly looked like they were going to be lucky to finish last in the first four weeks without him. Yeah. All of a sudden, top four side with him, and they are demoralising teams by 50 and 60 points. Like, it is it, – mate, it's a phenomenal So I don't think we'll ever see anything like it. If we are going to see anything like it, you know who it's going to be. It's going to be Tom Trevojevic somehow outdoing himself. Oh, I can't I, – yeah. If that happens, that's, that's – abs- you're totally right. At the start of the year, before he started playing, they were lucky if they weren't relegated. It was such poor footy. And, sh- and it's just it's shocking that the same blokes that were playing that footy played that crazy great footy for most of the season. You know what I mean? To, to think that that same team, just with an extra player, could turn around and, and turn into the team that the Manly did turn into and the, the team that they are now, it's absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. I remember during the season, I think I said that he has just as much impact on a team as any player ever, maybe even the same as Joey. And it got a little bit of pushback about it. Like a lot of people were like, oh, come on, man. Because again, as soon as you invoke the Joey name, it's, it's automatically. But it's hard to argue. He's, it's hard to argue against this point, at least for this 2021 season. He's had the most impact on a team ever outside of maybe Jared Hayne in 2009. But Jared Hayne... The, the, the Eels weren't going well, but I tell you what, they weren't coming last. They were coming 12th, 12th or 13th. Whereas Tom Travojevic, the start of the Manly season, the first four games, it was the worst start since 2002 Cowboys. Second worst, if you take out that Cowboys 2002 start, it's the worst start to the season by a team ever in NRL history in, in, since, two, since the NRL started 1999 or whatever. Um, 97? 98. 98. 98. 98. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. The more you think about it, the crazier it gets. Yeah. It's just the more you want to dive into it, the more you want to look at Manly without him, 
Uh, you obviously mentioned it's similar to when Joey wasn't at Newcastle. I would argue that, you know, the one thing Turbo's got to do is probably just own those big stages of finals footy, which we know he can do. He's done it in the Origin Arena. Mm. But once he starts to really dominate those, those finals games, oh, I don't know how anyone could push back on the Joey comparison as far as how effective they are to their individual team. Um, you know, Brad Fittler was very similar with the Chooks in the early 2000s. Freddie would leave and, you know, that was a star-studded. They were all test players mm. and they'd all completely hit the bed without him, but not to the extent that this Manly side have. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's an incredible season. And, mate, there was even games in the back end of the year where he was out, but the guys around him had gained so much confidence in the 10 or 12 weeks leading up to it that they were a different football team to what they were in the first four weeks, which to me, once again, is the ultimate compliment to Turbo. Absolutely. And you know what? It's a very, very good point. You're totally right. Um, he has dominated Origin multiple occasions, but until he dominates finals footy, you probably can't. You can you could you can make the comparison to Joey because Joey probably maybe had a couple better players around him, but you would still probably put Joey at number one. You know, especially when when you, when you put Joey when you rerun that 2005 series, and you watch the impact he has on that that whole series. You'd still probably have Joey at number one, but I, I do believe that it's, it's comparable. I think that Tom Travojevic is right up there as the, one of the most impactful players um, on his squad ever, I think. And I, I think the 05 Origin Series is, is always the go-to example, but mate, you go and have a look at that 01 grand final against Parramatta. Mm. I think that Parramatta side's the best team to never win a comp, and Joey handled them single-handedly. Well, they, like had the they, are the they, they scored the most points. That, that 2001 Eels side scored the most points in a season ever. Mate, Brian Smith was taking players off at the end of games, leaving them on with 12 and 11 players just in case they had to do it come finals time. Like, they were something else. They are criminally underrated, that Parramatta side. And, you know, I'm not sure, you know, like, let's say that Parramatta side is the equivalent of Penrith or Parramatta. I'm not sure if Turbo could come out and lead 30 nil against one of those sides like Joey was capable of doing in a grand final. Mm. Once again, is still young. It's scary to think he's 24 years old. He might, you know, if injuries hold out, he's, he might have another decade to go, yeah. which is terrifying to think about. But I mean, all he needs to do is take that next step in the finals, which I'm confident he will. I have no doubt whatsoever that he will. It's just a matter of when. And at the moment he has got the team around him to be able to do it in my opinion with Chez and Foz and these sort of guys, but they're getting older. So uh, interesting for years. Hopefully when Chez does retire, Turbo is ready to really own that, those final series do you think and it's dominate a, it. Do you think it's a fair comparison though? Would you, would you if you were going to say top 10 most impactful players of all time, would you have, obviously you'd have, you know, your Lockies, your Thurstons, your Fittlers, your Lazarus for sure. Would you have Tommy there or you still want to see him doing the finals? No, I, I would have him in, in the top 10, I think. I definitely would. But I, I want to see – I mean, mate, at the end of the game, uh, at the end of the day, it's it's still 15 games. I watched Joey and Freddie do it for 10 years, you mm-hmm. know. So I, I do want to see Turbo own the big stages. Uh, that That is what will push him into probably that top five, top four, top three, mm-hmm. instead of being in the top 10 at the moment yeah. where I have him. But I don't think it's an unfair comparison. Yeah, I mean, to be clear, I'm not saying career-wise. I'm, I'm talk- we're just talking about like the 2021 season – uh, he's just his impact on the team. He was a forty-point swing. He was literally a yep. forty-point swing. You know, I, I just, just crazy, just crazy. So, um, but you, you once t- again, though, pending who you're playing, 
Mm, that's true. Is what I would say. Depending who you're playing. Once again, I look at Joey. You know, he laid on 30 points in a grand final against one of the best teams we've ever seen, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it'd be the equivalent of Turbo doing that to Penrith or Melbourne, which um, I'm not as confident of him doing it as I was mm. of Joey doing it realistically. Would, do you think that might be a victim of his position, though? Yep, quite possibly. Because, like, um, Chez is possibly. the one leaving it, leaves uh, it, you know, whereas, like, Tommy isn't leading the boys around, whereas, you know, obviously Jay was. But, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I, I totally agree with you. you. You still have to have the – when you're talking about career, not just, like, the one year, you know, these, these guys like your fitless – Glenn Lazarus is another guy that comes to mind for me that never gets mentioned. He yep. was so impactful – it's crazy. When you look at his career, won the maiden grand final for Storm, won the maiden yep. grand final for Brisbane Broncos, and won a grand yep. final with the Canberra Raiders. I'm pretty sure at least two of them were in his first year at the club. And Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the, the first premiership for Canberra too, 89. Yeah, and so it often gets forgotten that Glenn Lazarus truly was one of the most impactful players because not, not only did they win the grand final, but the foundation laid for each club for the next 10 years when he was there. They, they all went on to pretty much dominate at least the next five to six years, you know? Yeah, and, and I think now people look back at the Melbourne one and go, oh, yeah, they're a successful club. Mate, putting a rugby league team in Melbourne, mm. absolute rugby league desert. For them to win a comp in their first 10 years, I think would have been impressive. Yeah. For them to do it in year one, year two, whatever it was, mm. unbelievable. And it's great. And once again, you, you just said, oh, is it because of the position Turbo plays? And I, I would argue, you know what? Fullback's still a pretty influential position. It might not be as much as halfback. Mm. But I'll tell you what, it's heaps more than fucking front row. Yeah. And this guy won a premiership everywhere he went. Yeah. Wayne Bennett dragged him everywhere he went, and then Chris Anderson looked at him and said, "I need him to build this Melbourne side." Yeah, it's yeah, he, he's very underrated in that regard. I'd probably have him in my top five all time influential players for sure. Yeah. I'd have I'd probably have him as my he would be number one most influential forward without a doubt. I'd say, uh, yeah, yeah, I'd say without a doubt. I, mean, I, I, I think when you consider the position he played. You know, there could be a fair argument for him being the most influential. Considering he wasn't a halfback, he wasn't a yeah, fullback, yeah. I think you could make that yeah. argument realistically. Yeah. I, I probably point. wouldn't, but I think there's an argument there. Yeah, totally, totally. What's crazy is the fact that it's, you know, Tom had such an incredible year. We can even talk about this. You know, I mean, there's no, there's, there's no one else that we could really, you know, look at and go, you know, they played so well. But the fact that Manly started so poorly and ended up in the top four, in the top four, it is just outrageous, outrageous. So it's always, I love talking about this stuff because it's, it's, um, it also sometimes you, you get reminded of, you know, when you go back over other people's careers and you're like, oh, actually, you know what? Like, fuck, like in the finals he did this. Yeah. Like, like, for example, Lockyer, like he was doing this in, in tight origin matches, like tight origin matches, Lockie would do something to win. Um, now, speaking of origin, New South Wales record-breaking origin win. This was absolutely incredible. It was – don't get me wrong. I don't think any well, – maybe in 1,000 years or 200 years or 100 years, we'll see another eight in a row. Now, I don't – I don't think that this – people that compare this New South Wales side to the eight in a row – I'm not talking about comparing them as in a squad over a period of time. But if you could take this side in a one-off match against the eight-in-a-row side, 
I truly believe it'd be the highest quality footy, quality footy we've ever seen. Yeah, I think that's a fair shout. Oh, I think that a lot of people were trying to compare them just baseline to that eight in a row, which I thought was absolute that's horseshit insanity. personally. Insanity. Yeah, ridiculous. Um, I mean, you consider this same New South Wales side, pretty much the same squad, couple of guys in and out. They lost a series six months before this against the Queensland team that probably featured seven guys that aren't going to play Origin again, realistically, because mm. they had so many injuries. They were down on their knees. Mm. So I, I can't. I can't put this team over that eight in a row, but what you're saying when you're being specific like that, I think it would be one hell of a matchup. Oh. Um, uh, yeah, I'd find it hard to bet against that Queensland team as much as I would love to see New South Wales win. Mm. you got four Immortals in your spine. you got a GI floating around, Hodjo. Um, just an incredible side, you know. Uh, but this New South Wales side, they are very impressive. That game one ended up being played in Townsville. Um, 50 to 6. 50 points in an origin game was just unbelievable. Turbo, as I said, he didn't have a position. He was just playing footy. Mm. Latrell was absolutely on fire. Um, I think the standout guy for me from this series, obviously we'll talk Turbo, Latrell, they're unreal. And I thought Tariq Sims, I wouldn't have picked him. I'm yeah. happy to admit it. I wouldn't have picked him. I agree. I wouldn't have even considered him, to be completely honest with you. But, mate, some of the shit that he came up with, there's a, there's a, there's a play early in game one where – he gets the ball. New South Wales are getting pummeled in their own end. Turbo takes a hit up. He gets bent backwards. Tao takes a hit up. He gets bent backwards. And Sims takes a hit up and makes about 15 metres. Mm. And it just – it flips the narrative completely. And it was in the first few minutes. But they, they were just rolling after that. Oh, I thought the pick of Tariq Sims by Freddie was just so special. He did a similar thing with Daniel Saifidi a few years ago. We all giggled. We all laughed. Sorry, is he a top – three front row in our game right now. I think he is personally. So uh, I, I think the Tariq Sims pass that he threw to Brian Toto, an incredible one there. Toto scoring two tries on debut. It was unbelievable to, to be have such a shit fight and end up in Townsville. That's the other thing about this Origin series. New South Wales didn't play a game in Sydney. It's crazy. It's crazy. They, like they, they did not play a game in Sydney and they're arguably the most, uh, you know, I don't think they are, but you could argue that it's the most dominant Origin team you've ever seen. They didn't even get a home game. Well, look, again, can, when you compare them, like comparing us eight in a row, eight in a row is ridiculous. But when you want to, when you want to bring the specifics down, and you go, okay, let's just compare one series, or let's just compare one game. It, I truly believe it's one of the best outfits New South Wales has ever presented. Like when you compare yeah. the, fact, sorry, yeah, no, no, like, I, 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 I agree with what you're saying. I don't think. Any of the Queensland eight in a row teams were as dominant as this one. Yeah. But I will say, I wonder how dominant that Queensland team would be under these rules. That's a good point. It's a good point. Be very interesting. Very interesting. I just think when the key, the key for me is you've got Nathan Cleary coming into his own, and he's, he's truly, when you look at his career, it is very comparable against the GOATs. Again, he doesn't mean he's going to be the GOAT, but it's very comp- comparable. But when the key for me is when you've got Latrell Mitchell, Tom Travojevic, and Tedesco. In the same side, it does start looking like a team like Inglis, Slater, you know, Hodges or, you know, whoever it was in the other centre position. It's very comparable. You know, when you start looking, again, it's, I'm not saying it would be better than Queensland's. I still believe that the Queensland side had so many immortals in it that they would have found a way to win. They would have found a way to win the series. But I do, I do believe it's arguably 
one of the top sides ever put together by New South Wales for at least just the one-off. Again, the, the, the key to, to, to good, a good side, a good origin side, it's about can you do it again? Can you do it again? Can you do it the next year? Can you keep those standards up? And that's what made, um, that's what made the Queensland side so brilliant is that every year they continue to do it. Whereas this New South Wales side, they've, they've put together, they've won by a record margin, a record margin. Now it's about can they do it again? Can they turn up next year and do the same thing again? So in a one-off game, I do believe it would be one of the, the highest quality games we've ever seen. But yeah, compared to eight in a row, it's all about the consistency with those boys. Um, for me personally, I, I, I thought it was a real redemption arc for Latrell. I just thought that, you know, the way that he got dropped and, you know, the way it all went down and the huge outroar from all of it, the media, everything... For him to mature up and come back and just even the way he spoke after the game he was saying i'm so lucky to be able to be playing with these boys it's all about you know him just talking it's all about the other person it's all about what he can do for the state and for his team and i just thought it was one of the great redemption arcs and one of the great series like him in that first game he was the one that broke queensland open he was it was his run that was outrageous that just tore us apart so um it was an incredible win absolutely incredible and i think that this team will go down as one of the, the best assembled for, for a specific game. We still don't know whether they can continue. But if you're looking for, if you're going through a cookbook and you're like, I want to put together all the recipe for greatness, I believe we're looking at the recipe for greatness. Now, just because you've got the recipe doesn't mean you're going to cook the, the, the right thing. You know, it doesn't mean you're going to cook the best cake ever. But I tell you what, Brad Fittler, the, la- the work he's done behind the scenes over the last 10 to 5 years, has, they've assembled, they're, 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 they're just, like let's say, let's say eight in a row's up here. They're down here still stirring the pot, still trying to work out what's happening, but I tell you, it's, they've got everything they need. There's no, there's no real excuses. If, if, they aren't, if they don't go on to win you know, the next three or four, three out of four series, or you know, four out of five, it will be because of errors that they made, in my opinion. Yeah, fair shout. I also think that there's a lot of guys in this Queensland team that are going to return, that are going to find, but like, I don't think, I think we're scratching the surface of KP still. Yeah, I absolutely. think, you know, I could be about to do something special potentially as well. So yeah, like New South Wales is stacked with unbelievable players, but Queensland, like, they're not, they're not sitting ducks over there. There, there is some serious talent coming through that Queensland system. I'm, you know, like if, for example, if Queensland had only won five in a row, mate, I've got to tell you, I, I'd, I'd still be nervous if New South Wales are going to be able to match that because I think people underappreciate how fucking hard it is to be able to win that many series in a row, to win two series in a row. Origin history tells us it's incredibly hard. If you don't have a Lewis, a Johns, a Fittler, it is a very, very tough gig to win any series back to row. Um, Back to back. Can, can I ask you this? As a Queensland um, fan supporter, are you more nervous about New South Wales now that Penrith have won a premiership? Now that the spine has sort of gone to that to, to that next level? See, see that that's a, that's the thing. Um, I believe New South Wales have all the ingredients to be dominant, uh, but I just don't think they have the same. You know what? Maybe they are missing the one ingredient. That that. Uh, so I could be wrong, but I I don't think they have the same foundations to utilize those ingredients. And what I mean by that is that Queensland always have a chip on their shoulder. They're the smallest state. 
you know, you know, rugby league is all about New South Wales. New South Wales have all the teams in it. And so the, the reason why I have confidence that although New South Wales have the ingredients to be great, they still may drop a, a series here and there compared to Queensland is because of that. They just don't have that same... Um, Queensland just have a chip on their shoulder that New South Wales just don't have. You just don't have it. Um, and, and it's just, it's a, it's, a, it's a symptom of being us being the little brother. It's a symptom of us being kind of like, you know, we don't get respected and, and you know, the grand final is always at ANZ. You know, all the, all the little things that we can pull on when the, to, to, for example, when, when we won those eight in a row, when we got into the fifth and sixth in a row, we, were, we weren't pulling on, you know, oh, they beat us last year or uh, they would have been pulling on things like, man, remember when, you know, in the 80s, we couldn't even, we had to go and play for New South Wales and all of these little things. So I, I may have misspoke when I said that New South Wales, I, I mean, don't give me, I, I don't know where I stand on it because I do believe you have all the ingredients. You've got the players. You, you've got an extremely young squad that your core is, is premiership winning now. Your coach is also relatively young and they all seem to buy on, buy in. You've got a great system now set up in New South Wales. So you have all the ingredients, but will you utilise those ingredients the same way Queensland did? I don't know. And I think that Queensland just have a little bit extra to pull on sometimes um, that New South Wales don't. And I think another example is the series we won six months before this one, we were pulling on things that I feel like sometimes New South Wales just don't have access to because they don't have the same chip on their shoulder. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Am I wrong? or No, no, mate. I love the way you just spoke for like four minutes without really saying anything. And I think that's the beauty of origin. <laughs> you can't, you can't put it into like, I knew what you were trying to say the entire time, but you can never, you can, and you know, nor could I in the sentence before that, you can't put yeah. it into words, what Queensland are able to do. And the 2020 origin series sums it up. Yeah. Perfectly. Absolutely perfectly. That was an unlosable series Mm. that we found a way to lose. We shouldn't have lost. There's no excuses for losing that. Mm. And that is, you know, growing up being a New South Wales fan and being, even before the eight in a row, just being heartbroken every year or two Mm. when Queensland seemingly pulls something out of their ass and someone scores a winning try that as a kid, I don't even know who that player is. Yeah, It's just Queensland is capable of doing it. And I'm not going to attempt to try and put it into words because I know I can't, but I'm... I'm confident that this New South Wales team doesn't go the eight in a row, the five in a row, because I'm I know Queensland will find a way at some point. I know there's too many quality players on the other side of that park mm. that when they get their pants pulled down enough, they're going to stand up and. We'll put it this way. They're, they're put it this way. Liver. Let's say let's say New South Wales were in Queensland shoes right now. They had some really good guys coming through, but Queensland had the same cattle that New South Wales have. I, I would be confident to say that we could probably win four, three to four in a row, Queensland. If we had the same cat, like if we had Tom Travojevic, Latrell Mitchell, Tedesco, Nathan Cleary, Jerome Law, you know what I mean? If we had that, like I would be confident that Queensland would be able to create an environment that consist, could consistently. And it, maybe that's because we've already run eight in a row, so it's very easy for me to say that. Um, but I, yeah, there's. Mate, you, you were pretty much in this spot in 2006. Yeah. You were pretty much in this. Oh, you had, you had Darren Lockie. You had a couple of experienced guys that Mal said it's now or never, or you're not coming back. Mm. And they won eight six in a row, and then they brought on yeah. your Inglises. You know, th- these sort of guys that just took it by storm. So I, once again, I know what you're trying to say, and I agree with you 100. percent If the narrative was flipped and it was the other way around, I, I, I think 
New South Wales would struggle to get out of the hole that Queensland are in right now, but I'm confident that Queensland will find a way. Mm, I agree. I think I think we really will find a way. You know, it's it's such a it's such a conflicting thing because you, you look at the systems that have been put in place by Freddie and you look at your squad and you have to say on paper that you do have the team to do something special. Very rarely do you have the guys that you've got. Um, but yeah, there is something intangible about Queensland that they'll just find a way to I don't, again, I, I can't put it into words, but they'll find a way to disrupt something. Whatever it is, they'll disrupt it, uh, disrupt the flow of something in, in a game, in a series. Um, and, and to be really, you know, to be frank, we've still got guys like Sam Walker coming through. Kalen Ponger is 23-24. Cam Munster is still only 27-28. You know, we've got some absolute stars coming through. So it's not, it's not dire situation, but... You know, there is no denying right now, uh, roster-wise, New South Wales' depth is just out of this world. I mean, you've still got guys like Bradman Bess, Zach Lomax, Katoni Staggs, Stephen Crichton. These guys can't get a crack. Um, it's interesting times. I don't know what's going to happen. I think this is my final thoughts on it. New South Wales have the ingredients to do something great. Will they? I'm not sure. I think Queensland have... That's something special that will disrupt it, though. That's, that's my take on the next few years. If, if New South Wales go on to win three in a row, um, I won't be super surprised, though. Um, but I do believe Queensland have that special something just to jag a series here and there, just to get that, you know. For example, 2020, just jagged it. Just got, just, just, and then all of a sudden, your, your streak is broken and we, um, it's going to be really interesting. What I do love about it, though, Origin is back in a big way. You know, for, I think yep. there was a period there for 10 to 12 years where a lot of New South Wales fans just checked out and were like, man, fuck this. Like, even Queensland fans, I feel like, kind of checked out. Whereas, like, going into this next, you know, this next Origin series, I, I, we're at the peak of, like, who's going to win? Who's going to – it's just up in the air. And, mate, I, as much as it kills me to say it as a New South Wales fan, it absolutely kills me. <laughs> To be honest with you, I think that if Cooper Cronk doesn't break his arm in game one of 2014, we win. it's probably 10 in a row. Yeah, I, 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 I truly believe know, that. It, it was 6 when he left the field. Mm. They lost every moment after that until he came back in game three and they won that by 30. Yeah. Once again, just the influence of Cooper Cronk that people underappreciate unbelievably. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm super interested. I, I, I just I don't know where my thoughts land on this because there's so many moving pieces. You know, you look at things on paper and you'd go, man, this New South Wales truly can do something special. But then you, you can never discount this Queensland, you know, intangible thing that Jags wins um, and Jags series. Now, num- sorry? I fucking hate it when you say Queensland thing and it's ridiculous, but I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> I apologise for not having the fucking vocabulary to, to express it, but it's just, it's there. It's like everyone in New South Wales gets it too. We hear you say this and we're just like, you muppets. Like you don't even have a word for it, but it beats us. <laughs> now, uh, number one moment, uh, Panthers win grand final after losing week one of the finals, playing three tough games against the Eel Storm and South. Thoughts? Yeah, mate. Uh, three grand finals in a row for me. That was the sort of calibre of games that the Panthers had to play. Um, it was funny. I remember the week they played Melbourne. I, I gave them no hope of winning that. But then in grand final week, I almost gave them no hope of losing the grand final. So 
I essentially gave them no hope of being there, but then I gave them no hope of losing it, which was is a crazy turn of events. For them to beat Melbourne in that game, and, you know, I've had people message me over the last few months, Penrith had things go their way, and you know what? Yeah, they did, but you get breaks, and it's how you take advantage of those breaks that you get, and Penrith, they took advantage of each and every one of them, uh, whether it was, you know, the referees having a short 10 in the grand final, they took advantage of it. South Sydney could have taken advantage of that as well. Uh, they had the injuries to the to, to the two Melbourne Storm uh, middles early. I mean, that, that's unlucky, but that shit happens. Mm. I mean, it is what it is. It's rugby league. Sometimes you're going to get little things go your way. You've got to take advantage of them. Penrith did. Oh, I thought that grand final was a pretty even playing field. They just played better. They were smarter. Um, they they took advantage of, of what was on offer. And, um, you know, Nathan Cleary is just the standout for me. I was I was running over his Dally M numbers. Um, and, you know, Dally M, it's not an exact science. It's not the best thing to go off. Obviously, I understand that. But, mate, the last two years, he's scored 30 and 24 Dally M points in 18 games both seasons. So it's, it's 36 games of football for 54 Dally M points. Um, that means that over the last two years – He's gone at 1.5 Dally M points per game, which compared to Turbo isn't that impressive. But when Thurston won in 2007 with the most Dally M points ever, he was going at 1.4. Wow. So for, for two years, Cleary in regular season has been going better than what Thurston did. And he made two grand finals in that time. He won one of them and got a Clive Churchill. So. Wow. Wow. It's just. Only numbers, but I mean, and yes, Dally M, it is not the exact science, but I mean, it's a fair whack of who's playing decent football. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the moment for Ivan Cleary putting the Clive Churchill over his son's head after everything that he'd been through, you know, making that extremely tough decision to turn his back on the Tigers and go back and coach his son. Even when he got there, they struggled and everyone said it was a bad decision to get rid of Anthony Griffin. How could they do this? Nathan Cleary, you know, the, the club has invested too much in him. For him to just go, boom, Clive Churchill, Premiership, absolutely incredible moment. Um, yeah, the, the Penrith Panthers, I just love what they've brought to the game. They've brought a different energy. There's a different feel about them. They're fresh. They're fun. They're young. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, and, you know, in the semifinal, I, I agree with you. I I thought Storm would win and win comfortably against the Penrith Panthers. You know, I didn't give them no chance, but I just the Storm had played so well all season and the Penrith Panthers just looked a bit shaky. I was thinking against the Rabbitohs, I think they lost a couple of weeks before and uh, oh, well a week before really. And yep. was it, was it the week before? Um anyway. No, they they they, 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 they lost to the Bunnies in week 1, they then beat Para. And, and then, then they, they had to play Storm. Yeah, sorry. They right? looked yeah. shaky against Rabbitohs. And I was just like, I don't think they have it in them to beat a team like the Storm. And for them to gutsy, like, grind that win out, absolutely incredible. I mean, what a year for Penrith. What a weird year for Rugby League in the Western of Sydney. It's been a while since they've had much to celebrate out there, but I've, it's been so good for the game. So good for the game. Um, but that is, uh, that is us for the day, the great guru. Uh, we are all done. Top 10 moments done. We will be back next week. Make sure to follow the Guru on Instagram, at Rugby League Guru. We've also got Facebook, Rugby League Guru, and podcast, Rugby League Guru, uh, on all good podcasting apps. Anything else, Guru? No, mate. Fingers crossed I've got, I've got a voice next week. Uh, you might have done me in here just quietly. Yeah, apologies. Apologies for that. But you're such a good bloke. You did it for us anyway. So uh, make sure to grab a case of bloke in a bar. 
beautiful beer of summer. The beer of sport. I mean, we're going deep into top 10 moments. Tell me another beer that's doing this kind of stuff. I, I don't see it. I don't see a beer loving sport as much as we. Grab a case of bloke in a bar. As usual, I'll go and fuck myself. Thank you.